This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome to Dig on America, where we speak truth to power. Every week, we give you the dig on how American history, policies, and media created the social and political issues we face today. DOA is independent media supported by listeners, but they'll tell you we're just fake news, deep state propaganda, funded by George Soros, the Clinton Foundation, BLM Marxists, and... Cletus Cassidy of Venom fame. Hey, everybody. It's Jason Dutch with Dig on America. Uh, So this show is going to be... um, It turned out... It was supposed to be an hour. It turned out to be three um, and what I did is this is from a Twitter spaces. So what we had is we had four political candidates on the show in a Twitter spaces forum. Um, and the, uh, the show, like I had mentioned, ended up being a little bit longer than, uh, what we had anticipated, but we had a lot of listener interaction, a lot of questions from Twitter spaces. So what you are going to hear here is myself, um, Brett Heinrich, who is running for Congress in in Washington State. You have uh, Alan Ellison, who was running for Senate in Florida, who was on the show a couple weeks ago. Um, well, last week, actually, Brent was on, is going to be on the show in uh, about two weeks. We also had two other candidates who joined us. We have David Torres, who is running for Congress in uh, Colorado. And Lauren Hubbard, who is running for Congress against Devin Nunez in California. Uh, so we had the four of these guys on. There's a lot of questions being asked from the listeners uh, of that Twitter space. So it's sort of a town hall. Um, so that's what we'll call this episode, the Democratic 2022 candidate town hall. Um, forgive the audio. The audio is is from spaces. I piped it in through the microphone because it's the only way I could do it. And it's really, it, it's, it's, the audio is fine, but it's, it's clearly through a phone, which is how this was recorded. So, uh, it's not, you know, super clear microphone like this is right here. So, uh, please forgive that. But, uh, with that being said, hope you enjoy. Let's get into the show. Take care. All right. So with that saying, uh, we will uh, we'll just get started up here. Then uh, the first thing that I would like to do um, is we'll start out with David. I have not had a chance to talk to David yet, so this is my first time talking to David in 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 voice. Um, so David, if you would uh, just tell us why you are running uh, for Congress in Colorado. Uh, listen, ultimately Colorado is my home. I moved here when I was four years old. Um, I think throughout the last several years is is when I have, uh, based off of my journey in life, I started paying attention to politics and paid attention to my hometown here in uh, or uh, down in Colorado Springs, where I spent about 36 years of my life. Uh, went to school and everything, and um, to to be perfectly honest with you, uh, with with what was going on nationally, uh, coupled with what was going on locally in my hometown it had to be done it was that simple i knew i knew what my journey was and what my ass uh what, what i had been training for if you will all my life uh to be a servant of the people in some capacity or another 
and I found it in I found it here. This is something that absolutely needs to be done. It hasn't been um, contested. There's never been a Democrat that won in this particular district ever. Uh, I think that's irrelevant to this point because I don't think anybody's being served in in this district. So um, I knew it was something that had to be done. It was in the realm of what I love to do. And um, ultimately, the decision was was pretty easy. Any weird hobbies? Weird? Um, (laughs) It's a a good question. I love Any hobbies whatsoever, I suppose. I got a ton of hobbies. If you if you want to throw one in a weird um, column, I I, I freaking love musicals, man. Um, I'm a musical junkie. I will, if I lived in New York, I would be broke right now because I would spend every single dime I had on um, going to plays and Broadway and stuff like that. It, it, I just love them. My family loves them, but. Uh, uh, you know, I love I love football. I, I coached football for a long time, and um, so those are some of the things that I enjoy, I suppose. Brent, same question to you. Why are you running for Congress? Well, I'm I'm running. Uh, I decided to run uh, in uh, late October of last year. I actually was donating to. Uh, uh, we have an incumbent, Jamie Herrera Butler, who won again last year, and I was making a donation to the person running against her. And I was speaking to a friend and I said, you know, if Carolyn Long doesn't doesn't win, somebody has to get into this and get into it like as soon as possible. And the dust settled in early November and Carolyn hadn't won. And uh, she had won run twice against Jamie Guerrero Butler. And uh, I just said, you know, either him or I had to do it. And he said, well, go do it. And uh I went and did it. Uh, it's one of those things that I've been politically motivated and I've pounded at my keyboard and I've tried to uh, enhance the discussion, but it, it just kind of popped like, if not me, who, and if not now, when? And so had the discussion with my wife and got filed. Uh, it, it was just a, it had to be done and I didn't know who else was going to do it. So I decided to do it myself, uh, rolls right into my weird hobbies of, I like working on cars. I have a 97 M3 BMW and my wife has a 2005 X5. They're known for being horrible cars to own because they just, they'll break you at the bank on maintenance well i just figured out what i needed to get for tools wise and the parts really aren't that bad and i just have to fix them incessantly um and i do and i get mad at them but i also enjoy doing it and i've enjoyed doing it to the point that my garage well not the greatest in the world had just high enough ceilings that i was able to put a two-post lift in my garage and i can't just wander around under a car but I can fix anything on a car now that I need to at home for the most part. And so that's been a, a source of almost therapy of hobby for me, uh, you know, in the last few years. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's what got me in it. Uh, and, and hobby, uh, I just believe that we need 
to expand access to health care and expand the possibility for Americans to have a healthy life. And that goes all the way down to addressing the climate uh, crisis that we're in right now. We had 115 degree day in Vancouver, Washington, um, hottest day on record. And it was the hottest day. The previous hottest day was the day before. And the previous hottest day to that was the day before that. Um, I mean, we had 108, 112, and 115 degree days. That's not normal here. And our current representative uh, in a call on the topic simply said, oh, by the way, um, uh, that I'm sorry, somebody decided to text message me in the middle of this, and I can't figure out how to get notifications to not go. So sorry, I got interrupted there. No, but our, our current representative on a call about this topic brought up that there was forest fires um, in the mountains nearby and that fires are, quote, hot. Um, the, the fires are putting out excess carbon that's making our climate problem a bigger issue in the cycle that we need to end. And I'm sorry, forest fires are not campfires that when you walk closer to them, they're, it, it you know was warming up the entire area. Uh, so we need to address those things. Uh, social safety nets are a huge thing to myself as well, as far as they manage to catch people, but they get tangled in them and uh, trying to work on getting them to be sewn a little tighter so they catch people and people are able to climb their way out of them um, and, and go towards living the American dream is is definitely a, a big motivator. Perfect. We appreciate that. So uh, this is an open forum. If anyone has a uh, would like to ask a question um, about platform or policy or anything uh, you know that's going on in the nation right now, and how either of these two gentlemen would do so. Um, I'm sure the room is actually going to ramp up quite a bit, so this is probably a good opportunity uh, for folks to ask those questions right now. Uh, so if you want to do that, just raise your hand. Uh, in the real quick interim, uh, my name is Jason uh, Dutch. I am um, uh, a podcast host with Dig on America. Um, and again, this will be uh, on this will be recorded uh, and put onto iTunes, Spotify, everything like that um, in uh, probably a day or so. Uh, so if there's anyone who would like to uh, speak or ask a question, um, you can raise your hand right now. We'll give you a second. No one is interested in asking you a question at this point. So we'll just uh, I'm, I'm going to ask you guys about some policy. Um, David, uh, if I may ask you a question um, and let's all do each other. For, uh, I'll go on. We'll all go on mute when we're not talking directly. Um the uh, uh, as as far as what's going on with uh, everything that has happened um, in this country uh, after January sixth, um, and really up until to, till right now, it almost seems like twenty twenty uh, just decided to continue on for another year of, of absurdity. Um, how much of this divisiveness that you that you see in the country right now do you think is overcomable, David? I mean, do you think that that people on the left uh, and people on the right can still manage to have conversations with each other and, and come together. Because when I look at Congress, uh, you know, this bill is being pushed back for a reason because we all know that not one of, not one Republican in Congress is going to vote for 
the the probably the infrastructure bill or the three point five trillion dollar uh, reconciliation package. So, what is your thoughts on 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 that climate and how you would approach it? Yeah, Jason, that's a great question, man. Because if you look at uh, you know past bills that have been this has nothing to do with the bill itself or how much it costs. This has everything to do, in in my opinion, with the fact that the right and the left just don't want to sit down, have conversations, and or get along, if you will. It's 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 a little it's a little childish in my mind. Um, do I think it's overcomable? Yes, I do. Um, and a lot of times when I'm speaking to people about the divisiveness of all this, um, I, I put some of that onus on us, the people, the people who are electing these. <laughs> These political hacks who want to go into politics simply to make a name for themselves and possibly make some money. There's so many rules that we have allowed to happen, uh, whether it's the corporate PACs, um, you know, allowing people to come in and not not address their constituents whatsoever. Um, and and then um, then send out all this um, information over uh, over social media saying how this side is doing something wrong and this side is doing uh, the other thing wrong and, and just not having those conversations like adults should, should absolutely have. Um, this is, uh, in a manner, uh, a lack of leadership that we have right now, and it's time that we, on either side, start electing adults, uh, basically. Um, it, it's, it's something that you continue to see, and, and these, you know, th- there's a lot of fixes, if you will, uh, that we can talk about. We can talk about um, uh, d- putting in term limits there, um, which w- and ending ending any corporate PACs uh, or the money that's in politics right now. I think those two things would go a, a very long way in attracting the wrong people. Um, but it is in the. I, I think it's in the the hands of the of the people. We we need to start having a little bit higher expectations uh, in who we vote in. Um, and I think that once you start seeing a, the new generation of people wanting to come into politics, wanting to actually serve people, you'll start seeing Republicans and Democrats sitting down and finding, uh, solutions to the issues. Because I truly do believe that, uh, at the, at the base of all beliefs, we, we all, we all consider the issues out there very similar. There are some that are, they're a little contrasting, but for the most part, I believe that we all we all have the same view of what uh, what needs to get done in this country. Uh, we just have different solutions. Um, whether you're a conservative or a liberal, uh, those, those solutions are different. And, and that's where your ability to communicate and sit down and have conversations with people who have different points and different views um, would, would really benefit the people. Because honestly, right now, this divisiveness, divisiveness that we see in D.C., in DC it's not affecting their pocketbook, but it is affecting the people. Um, and so I do believe that we're a ways away from it, um, but it, it is not impossible. I think it's something that we can't overcome. We have to overcome. All right, perfect. Uh, Todd, you have your hand up, sir. Uh, what, what question would you like? Do me a favor, uh, introduce yourself, tell us what state you're in. Um, your party affiliation, okay. and then uh, ask your questions or, or question or two, if you like. Okay. Thank you very much for having me on. Hey, uh, yeah, my name is Todd Wood, and I am from California. I would. You had spoke on the uh, term limits for the, you know, Congress and Senate and stuff like that. I personally think that that would be a good idea. 
because you have some of these senators and congressmen that have been in there like all their lives, you know. So, and um, also the filibuster. Um, what are your thoughts on getting rid of the filibuster? Go ahead, David. Uh, okay. If you both want to answer that, that's fine. Sure. Um, I'll start. Uh, and uh, thanks for the question, Todd. It's a, it's a great question. I think the filibuster is something that I know a lot of people want to hang on to because it's it started. It, it's been a part of Congress and something that they take. You know, they try to take um, seriously from the past. I think because it's been um, abused, like like many other things that right. that people in Congress. Um, have in place that it's it's now become it's become it's not effective it, it's the, the point of it is no longer why it's there it, it, it's a it's a it's something that they put in place of being able to sit down and, and communicate with each other so to be perfectly honest right. with you as much as I respect our past and our history and, and the things that were put in place into our government to ensure that um, the people, you know, have a voice and have a right. I think this is something that is no longer is no longer effective. It's no longer an effective way to to um, to to run Congress uh, and, yeah. and, to, and to find um, a, a great good solutions to the issues that are out there. So, to be perfectly honest with you, I, I may not be a rah rah kill the filibuster guy, but you know, the the, the more you see these bills not getting passed, the more I'm like, why, why, why is this still around? We don't need this. So it, I'm becoming right. more and more um, for getting rid of it. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, and it can either hurt or damage either party, actually, uh, Republicans or Democrats, uh, depending on who's got control of the Senate or Congress, for that matter. Um but I think it's probably a good time to get rid of it myself. Um, but thank yeah, we, you very much. Hey, we hey, hey, can anti-SS jump in, man, on the convo, man? Yeah, uh, go ahead, anti-SS. Yeah, you know where I think that what the problem with our, with our country is that the minority rules the majority. Like, if you look at how... You know, the electoral college favors minority states, you know, that minority states have a bigger voice than the ones that actually, you know, generate income and pay them. You know, it's just it's just like there's an outsized, you know, minority rule. And the way the GOP is going, they're going to continue that ad infinitum and that that we're going to prove that okay i'm out well i appreciate that so the so the way just so for those who just joined um if you want to ask can the candidates a question just raise your hand uh so i can call on you um i do think anti-ss though brings up a good point we do have another um someone just requested speakership i i didn't see who it was please raise your hand uh, again because i but the um uh the thing is like You've got with the Electoral College, we are one country, and I'm sure Brent and David will follow this up. We're the one country that has a democracy. And when we go and nation build in other countries, we never put in the Electoral College in those other countries, right? So uh, that's the one thing that we leave off. Um, Brent, your thoughts, uh, and David, actually, real quick, 
speak to what SS said. Would either of you look at introducing any legislation to, um, uh, obviously it would be quite the task. It would have to be, uh, you know, you'd have to get two thirds of the states in on your legislation and then uh, three quarters would have to ratify it. Uh, but is that something that you would even look at or is that just too big of a thing to mess with right away? Uh, Brent, go ahead first. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to pull it back to uh, even before the last question and jump on to the partisanship issue um, and the hyper-partisanship issue that we have right now um, that, that goes into term limits and the filibuster. Uh, simply put, we, and I personally blame Facebook, I blame Twitter, I blame just social media in general uh, for how partisan we've become and how quickly it's happened. Um, with that, we have the situation where the person I'm running against, you had asked, or there was a question asked about crossing the aisle and working with the other side. The person I'm running against, she has a, an ability to cross the aisle late in the session and then run on this moderate, you know, I've crossed the aisle uh, record that she really doesn't have, but does have a vote for or a legislation passed that that that's what she she runs with but things became so partisan that now she's one of the 10 uh republicans that voted for impeachment she was the person that gave the information about the kevin mccarthy call to the uh to the impeachment uh managers uh that that created this situation where now she's being attacked by the hard right. I was already planning on running against her because I didn't agree with her record. Um, but the partisanship has, has gotten worse. And even since this last cycle where she voted for impeachment and then she voted for the, uh, the January 6th committee uh, uh, or the commission. And, then they couldn't get that passed, and they came up to the January 6th Select Committee. She voted against yeah, it. Who you are said, again, I'm so sorry. What was that? Who are you running against? Oh, I think she uh, asked, who are you running against? I am running against Jamie Herrera-Butler in Washington's 3rd Congressional District, which is the southwest corner of Washington. And, and real um, quick, and real quick, David, that who are you running against in Colorado Five? Because we have do we do have two in here. Yeah, real quick, it's it's uh, the incumbent is Doug Lamborn in uh, Colorado Congressional District, the fifth. Ah, uh, big Trump guy. Okay, uh, go ahead, go ahead, go, yeah. ahead, so, go ahead, Brian. Uh, so she voted against the Select Commission uh, or a Select Committee because she then said, you know, everything's too partisan and people won't won't you know, agree with the findings. And I say, you know, it's part hyper-partisan because the Republicans, uh, in my view, but yes, the Democrats hold some blame, made everything super hyper-partisan. With that, that's the whole argument about the filibuster, is that, oh, we don't want to get rid of the filibuster because if or when it swings the other way, we want to use this as an obstruction tool. 
The filibuster wasn't supposed to be an obstruction tool. I don't think it was ever a good tool. And I'm running for Congress, not for the Senate. So I have no say in whether or not it stays or goes. But simply put, keeping it only so you can obstruct in the future is just showing you don't want to make any progress. That's setting yourself up for failure. When it rolls into term limits, um, I I honestly don't have a good uh, decision on term limits because I believe the voters are your term limits. I know there are a handful of members um, in Congress that have very safe districts where they put their name on the ballot. The people there are used to voting for them and they continuously win. But every midterm, we hear about these massive changes in in the House makeup. And I believe the voters really do have the ability to set the term limit with their vote. And so I'm going to be going against a six-term incumbent. If I win, when I win, that will be her term limit, is the voters will have spoken. Um, And if she manages to win... I don't want to say sour grapes and say, oh, but there should only be seven terms. This is your last one. Um, So creating that line, I I don't have a a good answer for. But all of these things roll back to voting. We need people to be able to vote. With that, we need voting rights. We need the John Lewis Act, uh, Voting Rights Act. We need H.R. 1. We need those passed. We need them codified, and we need to allow every eligible voter to vote. And we need to give up on the big lie, and I'm running against uh, a a MAGA uh, Trump-endorsed candidate who's already called for a full audit of the 2022 election. We haven't even paid our filing fees locally to get our names printed on the ballot, and he's already calling fraud and that he wants uh he wants an audit and wants to or he's already suing the state uh in five counties against results from 2020 um so there's there's that go with the proven (laughs) go with the proven strategy uh yeah cyber ninjas actually um for those who don't know found, I think, that Biden won by 42 votes more than they thought uh, he won by in Maricopa County. Uh, I I believe 142. 142. Um, I believe no no leftism uh, had a question. I'm not sure if the question that she had was um, was uh, I'll give you your speakership back there. Um, Did you have another question beyond the one that you had asked? You You can go ahead if you do. Uh, while we're waiting for her, we'll go to anti-SS. She has another question. Yeah, yeah, I have a question. Um, how is your campaign going to be able... Who are you addressing? Over- uh, which which candidate are you addressing, David or Brent or both? Oh. Oh, I don't know. Okay. So I, just- I, I think Brent was the one that filibustered. I think I'm I'm following him. Okay. Hello. Go ahead. 
Um, how do you plan to overcome the MAGA issue? I mean, there is a MAGA, uh, what we should say, you know, push, and that's going to hurt a lot of Dems. How, how will you address that piece? Well, I, I address it by I believe that my district wants honesty and decency and accessibility to their representative. Uh, that's something we don't necessarily have now. Jamie Herrera-Butler has not appeared to have an actual town hall with the constituents here for 1,722 days. I know that because there's a lovely bot that tweets about it uh, multiple times a day that keeps track of it for uh, all the constituents here. So that's uh, coming up on five years. Uh, I In Washington, we have top two primaries. So we end up with the top two vote getters carry through to the general with no chance to do a write-in uh, secondary campaign. So the MAGAs here are going to be pulling from Jamie, most likely. The question is, do they pull enough from Jamie that they primary her and put myself up against the more extreme candidate uh, in this district? I believe that uh, being where I am on the political spectrum versus the full extreme uh, will definitely favor myself. We know that Trump won the district by three points and Jamie won by, by 12. That means the people were voting for Biden that were voting for Jamie. I don't see them voting Biden voters voting for the full blown MAGA candidate. And with everything that's happened, Jamie's going to lose a lot of voters to we'll never vote for Jamie. Obviously, we'll know all the data next November when the election's done. But trying to break it down, I, I with our primary system, the mega faction is going to create noise for the Republicans and uh, allow myself to stay more on message. Perfect. I appreciate that. We also have uh, Alan Ellison in the room now. Alan is running for Senate in Florida against, um, well, first against Val Deming, Deming and then against uh, Marco Rubio. Um, so welcome into the room, uh, Alan. Um, David, uh, real quick, you're, uh, well, we have a question from uh, No Leftism. Uh, go ahead and ask your question uh, real quick first and before I go. Um, I wanted to ask Brent, David, and Alan to promise that because what happens right now is we see, like, I appreciate you, Brent. I appreciate you, David, because you guys are doing the hard thing, like running in a red uh, district. But what I see is, you know, losing is part of, it should be part of our strategy. Like, you lose now. You, like, if you lose this election, I want to make sure that you'll stay. You'll stay around, like, you know, how we lost um, in, uh, you know, um, Kentucky. 
against Mitch McConnell, which I expected to happen. But that lady who ran against him, she disappeared. And I want you to promise that if you lost, you will still stay, you know, you will run. You, because this is how we win, you know, you lose and then you run again, you lose by less, you lose by less, and then you win, like, you know, eventually. Or you... If, if not, if you don't run yourself, you could, you know, recruit someone else to run. So would you stay, would you promise to stay, to stay even if you lost? Like if we would, let me, let me correct. Correct. That's a, that's a fantastic question. Um, and, and the reason I think it's fantastic is because we had, uh, I've been involved with campaigns here against Kevin McCarthy in Bakersfield, where the candidate um, that I was helping, Tatiana Mata, in 2018 just fell off the face of the earth and like people have their lives. But I, I want to ask Alan um, to follow up to that if he would, because Alan has been uh, through a race where he did not win. So uh, I think that he is, uh, and, and now he's back and, and looking for more. So uh, Alan, it, it could, you could probably speak to that better than anyone, I believe. Right. Can you all hear me? Okay. Yes, sir. Uh, yes. Yeah, so in 2018, I actually ran, um, in a special election, the Democratic nominee, uh, April Freeman, passed away 30 days before the election, uh, which was a congressional race in the state's largest congressional district, which covered 10 counties. Um, and it was also the state's most red district. And so whenever I ran, I only had about uh, 30 days to mount up a campaign. I won the, sp the special election against five other contenders. Um, and out of the five, I ended up with 52% of the vote. Uh, I then went into a 28-day campaign against a United States congressman who had been already campaigning for a year. Uh, but we had to do the necessary work of trying to reach as many people as we can uh, or as we could because... Uh, my name wasn't actually on the ballot. So by the time I won the special election, the ballots were already printed up. And so um, I ended up getting about 117,000 votes in 28 days without my name on the ballot in the state's largest and most read congressional district uh, in the state of Florida. And so that um, actually lit a fire under me, not only from the standpoint that I knew that we had the ability to reach people, not only and the Democratic Party, but also independents and Republicans. But it also gave me the idea that there are a lot of people that simply do not have a voice. And when people don't have a voice, oftentimes they pull back from the political um, uh, uh, engagement. They pull back from their civic duty. They pull back from voting. They pull back from just even voicing their opinions a lot of times because they feel as if no one is listening. So the reason that I am uh, running, not only because we made such an impact in 2018 and 2020, but because there are still people that need to have uh, a voice. Uh, there are still veterans that are dying by suicide. No one's working to fix that issue. Uh, since 2000 uh, or since 1963, in 1964, with the Equal Pay Act for Women, the Civil Rights Act, Title VII, there are still women that are being paid less than men for the same level of work. And there are so many other issues, uh, disabilities. People are still being denied disability benefits, sometimes up to eight years after being deemed disabled by a medical physician. So as long as there are going to be people 
uh, that need to have someone to represent their interests, it is always going to be necessary for those leaders who have stood up to continue standing and continue to um, fight to be their voice. Because the last thing you want to ever have is someone that is in the United States Senate, in the United States Congress, that's there to represent your interests, but have absolutely no idea uh, what keeps you up at night. And so that's this is why, you know, uh, Brent, this is why uh, people like uh, Dave, uh, 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 Mr. Felipe and, and several other candidates engage in the way that they do on these types of platforms. It's because they care enough to realize that you all need to know who they are, but they need to know who you are so that they can represent your interests wherever uh, they are. And so, you know, thank you for that question, but con- but we will continue to fight. Uh, it is our civic uh, duty. Uh, it is something that we're all called to do as Americans. And I try to encourage each and every person that if you care enough, then jump into the race and run. And as a party, we should be backing every single candidate. I hate to see all the division that takes place in our party. Uh, People trying to put one candidate against the other. At the end of the day, we are all in the same party working towards the same goals. And we can't allow the divisive rhetoric that I see so oftentimes in our society to allow us to be torn apart, you know. And so, again, thank you for the question. Um, David, I, I, we were going to go to you. Thank you, Alan, for that. Uh, eloquent as, as always. Um, David, your thoughts on, on that topic. That, I want to reiterate that that was an absolutely great question. And, um, and Alan, thanks for your, your answer as well. Um, something that was important to me when I first decided to run um, and one of the questions I received most often um, when when really diving into the, the entire process of running for Congress was that um, I, I looked at the history of, of my district and I've, we've never had anybody um, uh, on the Democratic Party repeat um, after losing. Um, this is a, a historically conservative town, um, but I totally agree. This is something that it's going to take time. I'm fully aware of the um, vested time that I'm going to have to put into this. I'm also a realist in the sense where in the be- at the very beginning of all this, I, I figured the chances of me winning since the closest any candidate has ever got was uh, 18% two election cycles ago. So I realized that I'm in an uphill battle here. And the reason why it is imperative that we run more than once is because that first that first election cycle that we go through uh, is a great opportunity to get your name out there, to meet the people, to understand what the needs are of the district. And if you don't win, you're ahead of the game for the, for the next election cycle. You're, you're, you're able to almost continue the day after the election, getting ready for the the following uh, election. So, it is a great question. I think you do have to have a certain level, uh, a certain mindset. I think it's a little bit easier for candidates who are running in a very difficult district to get that mindset prior to so you can prepare for that, uh, the possibility of losing and having to do it again. Um, I totally respect uh, I respect you, Alan, for, for going at it continuously and your journey to this point. This is what we need. This is exactly the uh, vigor that we need to have when fighting for our district. So absolutely, it is, it is going to be 
something that uh, I will, I would, I will absolutely do if if I don't get it uh, done in 2022. So perfect. Um, all right. So as you can see, can, I have. Can I jump in? Oh yeah, go ahead, Brian. I just wanted to clarify. Amy McGrath ran for uh, Congress in 18 in Kentucky, and then ran for Senate in 2020. She hasn't announced what she's doing yet. Um, and as I'm running for a seat that Carolyn Long ran for twice in a row, and I've had extensive conversations with her, it, running these campaigns and losing back-to-back is emotionally draining. It's, it's physically draining. Uh, we don't know what Amy's doing in Kentucky yet, but I would not count her out. Uh, Carolyn and I have had conversations about a million things. Uh, she's not running for this seat. I'm taking the, the torch on that, but that doesn't mean she's not running in the future for other things. She's taking her time now, but I think when people run multiple times in a row, they either build the machine or they take the time to step back to, to take a good hard look and rebuild and go forward. And like Alan said, and and David said, we've, we've gotten into this arena because we feel it's our civic duty. None of us are just going to disappear. Perfect. So um, I, we have a question from Jason. I'll get to you in one second, brother. Um, As you can see, I've changed the title. So I'm going to let Jason ask his question. And then there's two questions that I want to make sure we talk about. Um, One is pro-choice and versus pro-life. Uh, and, and more, not really the policies per se, but how to have that conversation. Um, and then the second is going to be uh, centered around healthcare. So those are the only two places where I'm going to push the envelope in whatever time we have left. I know that, and for those who are just joining, um, we have Alan, we have Brent, and we have David. These three gentlemen are running for office in 2022. Alan Ellison is running for Senate in Florida. Brent uh, Henrik is running for uh, Congress in Washington. Uh, and David is running for uh, Congress in this, the, the great states of Colorado, unfortunately not against Lauren Bobber. Uh, so I will shift it over to um, the question that I have in the title in a second. But Jason, you had your hand up patiently. Uh, go ahead and ask your question, sir. Uh, we apparently have lost Jason. Okay, so we'll, we'll wait to see if he gets back in. So um, if anyone does have a question, just request speakership. You can ask any question you want of these uh, three candidates um, who are all Democrats. Um, so when you have the conversation, guys, um, and I'll, I'll let whichever of you uh, would like to take this, um, when you come across the pro-choice versus pro-life question, how do you engage that conversation, especially when it may be in a conversation uh, in, in a setting where you're dealing with family members um, or or people who within the community who are who who claim to have a pro-life uh, view and vote that way transactionally because of of religious uh, views? Um, is there a particular way that you choose to engage that that touchy conversation? I'm jumping in and taking this. Uh as I believe the only person running that's sitting in this room right now that has made that choice on behalf of their family, uh, 
I, I am 100% pro-choice. In 2012, my wife had some pregnancy complications that carried on for five weeks. She went into labor at 20 weeks pregnancy. We went to the hospital. She was given an epidural uh, because she was in labor. Uh, the epidural stopped the, the labor. We thought things were good. And she started hemorrhaging at a rate that they were not able to give her blood fast enough to replace what she was losing. And I was faced with a choice of watching my wife die with my daughter inside her, or they could have my wife give birth to my daughter. We could meet our daughter and she was not going to have a chance to live, but my wife would live and we would have the chance to have more kids. I took that choice in what feels like the blink of an eye. Um, we held our daughter Addison and since then we've had Brayden and Brinley and I have stared back at that question a thousand times and, and what I did and I cannot find a line in the sand that there's not a quote exception on the other side of and therefore I don't think you can regulate where there should be a line. Uh, I believe it's an issue that is between a person and their their medical team and at the end of the day i know it hurts people's feelings to hear me say this but if you don't want an abortion don't have one but that doesn't give you the right to choose what and how another person conducts their life had we lived in texas had this gone down this week versus when it happened in 2012 and we were in Texas, uh, we would be under the, the, the SB8 law and it would have been illegal and it would have been cross your fingers and hope the bleeding stops and hope we can pump blood into her faster. So I have a, a very hard line open view on, on this topic. And when it becomes, you know, I'm pro-life, I say that's, I'm not pro-abortion, I'm pro-choice. And uh, people need to be able to have their choices with, uh, you know, with it. And we absolutely don't need doctors staring at, at a situation going, well, is this on a legal gray area? Is this illegal? Doctors need to give care and, and people seeking treatment need to, be, need to receive that care. Thank you for that answer. Alan or David, would you like to uh, chime in on that? Uh, sure. You know, I, I do agree with Brent. Um, the pro-choice, um, pro-life debate is probably one of the most comprehensive issues of all of the issues. And there are about 55,000 different issues. So whenever I come across someone uh, who has a hard stance on the issue, uh, depending on how they're trying to attack the issue, um, gives me a, a latitude of options to choose from and how I choose to uh, uh, engage with them uh, because it's so comprehensive. It's so many different uh, areas to go to. So with the, with the people that um, come from a religious standpoint, then I basically tell them that if God gives people uh, the free will to choose, then who are we to take that free will away? If they come from the standpoint of um, trying to be too um, 
moral right and 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 too high-minded then i simply remind them of all of the other um life situations like the children at the border that were uh, basically being mishandled and the children in the cages. And so the question is, are you just pro-birth or are you pro-life? Because you can't be pro-life and allow uh, babies to be thrown into cages like what we've seen under the previous administration. You can't be talking about your pro-life and then when children are born, uh, you have nothing to say when they're being thrown into foster care systems and 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 they're not, it's oftentimes not even having enough food to eat. And so we have to be about uh, policy that moves society forward. And if policy adversely impacts some of us, uh, then that's not good policy. Policy has to uh, positively, uh, positively impact all of us in a in a certain way. And so, uh, like I said, there's so many different ways. Brent brought up something that was um, not only unique to him, but it's unique to a lot of Americans who face uh, uh, birth situations where there is life or death. Um, in my own family, I know that there was someone who was faced with that and the mother had to choose uh, her baby's life over her life because the two could not simply coexist in a birth situation. And so when you're dealing with that, you can't have legislators telling you what to do. Those decisions should be between you, your God, you, your doctor, you, your husband, you, your family. It should be it should be in the hands of the people who have to deal uh, with the consequences of these decisions. And it, And these are not easy decisions. These are decisions um, that people have to weigh differently and heavily depending on where they are, whether it's incest, whether it's rape. Um, I mean, you can't tell somebody that they have to have a baby that came by way of rape or incest. I mean, it's it's inhumane. It's un-American. It's undemocratic. And so I support uh, a woman's right to choose because at the end of the day, uh, we, if you do try and, and legislate it, it's not going to stop it. In fact, you actually increase the amount of deaths when people try to do illegal uh, abortions. We've been through that point in history, and that's why I always say that policy should move us forward. It should never move us backwards. And so, uh, you know, that law in Texas, I thought it was a law that actually took our society uh, in a step uh, backwards. So we have to be... Uh, pushing for federal policy that not only uh, moves us forward, but protects the policies that have um, pushed our society in the, in the forward um, and right direction. Perfect. Um, I see you, Jeff. I think Miriam was first. I know, I, and I, David, we, we want to hear from David. So let's do it this way. Miriam, go ahead and ask your question. If you don't mind, um, we'll let David respond to it. Miriam, you're on. You're on mute. Oh, sorry. Hello. Um, hi, Miriam. Hi. How are you? I, I actually, I'm sorry. I didn't have a question. I just appreciate this podcast, this chat for what it is. I really appreciate you guys. We need to do better as a country. Well, thank you for that, Miriam. Um, David. Uh, go ahead and uh, give your, your thoughts on this, and then Jeff has a question. Uh, absolutely. Um, first off, Brent, thanks for sharing uh, your story, uh, brother. I can only imagine what that was like for you. Um, I think both of them together pretty much hit it on the head. Listen, I'm in a very, very 
religious district. I think it's one of the, uh, has the most churches per capita in the country. I don't know if that's actually true, but that's kind of a running joke in, in Colorado Springs and El Paso County. I was raised in the church. Um, I was raised in a very Republican family and I was raised in a very pro-life family. Uh, the way I look at it, though, what superseded that was that I was raised by a single mother and an older sister who, when my father was in the house, uh, was, a, you know, we all lived in a very abusive home and we didn't have a lot of choices growing up. I became more pro-woman than pro-life or pro-choice. I became, it became very evident at an early age that the rights of women are still contested to this day. You know, to, to Alan's point, you know, Roe v. Wade didn't start abortions. Roe, Roe v. Wade started safe abortions, started safe health care for, for our women. And they've been fighting for equality since the beginning of the United States, since, since we started. And, and frankly, I'm tired of, of this still being an issue in 2021. You know, pro, pro-choice is really just telling everyone in this country that women should have the same damn choices as men do. Because I promise you, in the 40, almost 43 years I've been on this earth, I have never in my life as a man been told what to do with my body, what I can and cannot do. And it's pretty darn frustrating to see that this is now an issue that we're starting to talk about again. So yes, codifying Roe v. Wade is something that has to be done and it has to be done now. We got to stop talking about this. We got to start doing and complete it because the fact that there are men out there who continuously believe that it is their right to tell a woman what they can and cannot do. Is, are there ethical arguments to this? Absolutely. If you're a super absolute religious person and you really believe in God and, and, and the teachings, um, yes, there, are, there, there could be decent ethical arguments to this. At the end of the day, it's none of our damn business. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, everyone should have the same rights regardless of your gender. And, I, and, and this, this one actually means quite a bit to me. I haven't necessarily had a, it, it's not as personal as it is Brent uh, firsthand, but what I can tell you is that my upbringing uh, towards the end of my childhood, what I saw as a, as, a, as, a, as a kid growing up in my own household and what was accepted outside of our walls because of who was doing the damage absolutely forged my belief that this issue has to end and it has to end with the people in Congress and in the Senate. We have to codify Roe v. Wade and move on with life. And believe it or not, women should have the same damn rights as men. And that will happen once we get this new generation of people into into D.C. But uh, again, I I thank uh, Brent for his story and and I'm on board here. Um, I, before we let Jeff go, Miriam, it looked like you were going to follow up to your own question. I just wanted to agree. Um, I'm an immigrant in this country, um, and I'm a woman, obviously. Um, and I 100% agree. I'm really saddened with where this country went, and I'm hoping for a brighter future. 
and I'm I'm very thankful for all the women who marched over the weekend um, against Texas, um, you know, entire abortion. I'm sorry, I'm never sad. <laughs> talking um but i'm really grateful for this chat our country needs to be better uh women need to uh, i'm sorry uh, politician needs to do better and yeah so thank you alan thank you very much for your chat perfect okay so uh i happen to know this gentleman um uh. jeff um I, you have a I, I, I'm not sure if you have a question or if you're uh, Jeff it happens to be a constitutional uh, scholar. I'm not sure if he's got a question or if he's going to uh, tell us about the constitutionality of abortion. But Jeff, you got the floor for a few seconds. Go ahead, brother. Yeah. The, uh, hi, guys. Uh, there's no way I'm going to ramble on for six straight hours. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I'm a Canadian. I was born Roman Catholic. And uh, since December 2nd, 2015, I was more compelled to begin research into U.S. constitutional history due to a discovery of constitutional language. But getting back to abortions, uh, Thomas Jefferson and some of the framers, they had no problem with abortion whatsoever. It started to become a political rhetoric in about eight, in the 1820s and went on from there. And... Uh, you know, when when uh, Benjamin Franklin said it was a republic if you could keep it, this is more or less what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's my opinion that uh, America has the best constitution on the planet. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is that it's always required interpretation. And uh, in, in the greater narrative, uh, Benjamin Franklin knew that the subcultures of human oppression, you know, which are based on basically greed, you know, believing there's different kinds of human beings for cheap labor, uh, would cherry pick constitutional language just as they cherry picked scripture. Totally anticipated. And that's what happened at the convention. And it wasn't so much that the convention was a consensus that produced a constitution. What actually went down was that some of the framers, the ones that actually called the convention, including George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, Alexander Hamilton, John Jay, and at least 16 others, knew what the Constitution actually was. Uh, Everyone else, it was more a matter they just didn't read the fine print. And then it was ratified. (laughs) Uh, Sounds like a conspiracy theory, but... Benjamin Franklin, as a polymath, was also a master of human psychology, and he knew it was human nature to read what we want to. And as human beings, we have a tendency to think only in terms of black and white and use emotion as logic. And when you start using emotion as logic, you lose your objectivity very fast. But no matter who we are, (laughs) it's very difficult not to use emotion as logic you know, irrespective of our education or whether we're a genius or not, because underneath all of us, we're a human being first. And, uh, you know, it, it's more about, you know, if you look, if you look at Trump, right. Uh, no. that the human ego does not like to be called stupid. 
right? And if you get a really big human ego, it will conclude that it knows absolutely everything, which is impossible, right? Uh, and at that right. point, that person's curiosity has died, and it's impossible to learn anything from that point forward. Uh, <clears throat> and I, I was curious about something. I was I I recognized that something had to have been a theory by the Supreme Court, and I tested it in a much distinctly different manner in my belief that not only would James Madison have known how to construct a sentence, but he would have done so in such an important document. And I came at it from a much different perspective. But uh, anyway, that's uh, all I wanted to throw in. But. Appreciate that. Todd, you had uh, your hand up first, and then we'll go to Brian. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, I've been I've been listening for a while and stuff uh, about your... Uh, personally, I'm pro-choice. You know, it's a woman's body. She needs to decide on what she wants to do with it and stuff like that. Now that I understand. But in uh, about a, uh, what about a married couple that the woman gets pregnant? Um, she wants an abortion and he doesn't want her to. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? Who, who would make a, a final decision? Uh, would it be the woman? After all, it is her body, and she has the right to choose. But also, the husband in that situation, mm, wouldn't he have a right also? Uh, okay, so I'm going to, real quick, um, I think that's a fantastic question, um, and actually a question that I've been through myself, um, anecdotally. Um I was in a situation where I wanted, I even volunteered to take the baby on my own and the girl said no, but uh, I'm not sure which of you gentlemen would like to take it. But also apparently we, we have another candidate in the house here, Lauren Hubbard, uh, who I have not met before, um, but he's taken on one of my favorite people, Devin Nunez, um, right near me in California 22. So uh, we'll let him um, get a voice here as well. Uh, Brent, it looks like you want to reply. Yeah, I did. I just wanted to say that, I mean, at the, with what the constitutionality that we were just talking about with this question, with everything, um, there's a separation of church and state. And, and we have to we have to be guarding that to the level of I'm sorry if if your religion says this and her religion says that and, and others religion says something different. We cannot enact laws based upon those like those it. views. We, we can use a moral compass that we've learned in religion and in upbringing, and I think that's why we're running, is that people believe in us, uh, and that's why we ask for their votes. We ask them to go to our websites and donate to help us with voter outreach. But we must not ever be trying to, to legislate based upon religion uh and yeah my other thing for for raising my hand and jumping up and down was uh lauren hubbard for california 22 is in the house Hi, lauren, lauren welcome <laughs> welcome in welcome in lauren uh welcome into the dig on america podcast uh here um introduce awesome. yourself real quick thank you thank you for for uh letting me letting me try to hop on here and and kind of co-opt uh what you guys are talking about, because I think it's a really important topic. And I really kind of wanted to talk a little bit um, on and touch on this like idea 
about the Constitution, and I, I, I am, you know, a little bit. I have to to kind of preface this as a as a black man. Um, you know, the Constitution to me, I have to look at it through a specific lens because um, I, I it's really a document that was set up to preserve certain power structures and really limit the participation of regular people in that in the process of government. Um, so for for me, when it comes to uh, answering like questions, uh, these like moral questions, you know, uh, just like uh, has already been talked about, is it's really between a person. Uh, Brett, Brett said we should not be making um, laws based on someone's religion, uh, especially. And, and, and I, I'm really hesitant to 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 make something constitute. I know that's like our the way our system's set up, but. The constitutionality of of abortion, um, when there's, you know, it's really, you know, something the Supreme Court set as president before, and there's no hard law, which is what Democrats were trying to do, um, is is really something that I think we should all be concerned about. Is we really need to make it a law, um, and take it out of the hands of an unelected body like the courts. I agree with that 100%. Um, you know, there's a difference between a life and an independent life. So we're going to shift this over real quick here um, to universal health care. Now, first of all, uh, just real quick for those who just entered, um, if you'd like to ask any of these now four candidates a question, you can do so. We have Alan Ellison, Senate candidate in Florida, uh, Brent running in Colorado, uh, I'm sorry, in Washington. We've got David, um, David Torres, who's running in Colorado. And we now have uh, Lauren uh, Hubbard uh, running uh, against Davin Nunez in California 22. Um, as far as universal health care goes, I'm going to shift this towards Alan and David. Uh, first of all, what, what is the version of universal health care um, that you guys look uh, that, that you guys are in, in support of? Is it more of a Medicare for all? Is it more of a single payer? And I know those are kind of the same thing. Or are you guys looking for something where doctors would remain, um, would no longer remain private, but would also be public uh, officials as well? Yeah, um, that, that's a really good question. And this was kind of a tough subject because there are so many different versions of Medicare for all right now on the table. And there's there, there's no one good way to do it. And I think ultimately what they're looking at is is how we're going to pay for it as a country. I think Medicare for all kind of resonates with me. And the it, it's a little personal, I suppose, but my, my mother-in-law just passed away recently and, and some of her benefits in Medicare, uh, because she's, she was of age, obviously, um, you know, really allowed her to have a, a dignified and um, a death that she that she somewhat controlled in the sense of uh, the venue where she was at, where she spent her remaining days in. Uh, I know that's that's really a small portion of healthcare, uh, but you look at the my, my wife's in healthcare right now. Um, I I my career is has been on the administrative side of healthcare, and the one thing that continuously comes up is is how, how people are going to pay for it, you know? So I, I, Medicare for all does resonate for me. I don't know. 
I, I'll be honest with you in saying that I'm not necessarily a fan of one option or the other when it comes to the the different um, the, the different Medicare for all proposals that are out there. I can say that what needs to happen is 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 being able to sit down at a table and figure out a way that we can pay for this that is appropriate for our country. Um, because I know that that's a sore subject in 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 both parties. I think it's something. I know that if you look at, uh, you know, like the 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 Bernie side of it, you know, we'll we'll pay for it. We'll figure it out. We'll get we'll we'll get it done. Uh, we'll put it in taxes, and then we'll 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 the people who are making more money are going to pay more taxes on it. You know, that's kind of kind of how insurance is right now. Whether it's car insurance or health insurance, you know, they 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 go up and down based off of, you know, what's, what's happening the year before or the cycle before. So I, I am a fan of Medicare for all. I think we're, we are a ways away from that because I, I and, and what I mean by that is that something has to be, it, this is going to have to be a gradual change and focus to that. Um, but we, we, we need to figure out what's going to be the most productive way for us to, 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 to pay for it. But it is a Medicare for all, I believe would, with, it is something that that the the American people would benefit from 100%. Awesome, and then we'll go to Alan here, though, real quick to everyone listening. Um, if you'd like to ask a question, just uh, um, request speakership and raise your hand. Um, and then please do follow uh, the, the Got America podcast as well as all four of these uh, candidates here. Um, Alan, Lauren, Brent, and David, please do follow all of their campaigns. They're, they're, obviously, they'll have usually, I think all of them have in their bio or in their pinned tweet how you can support their campaigns if you like what you hear. Uh, Alan, which, how should we go about Medicare uh, for all or single-payer health care? Um, aggressively. Uh, there are so many people uh, that are in desperate need of health care. And, you know, coronavirus has definitely exposed a lot of weaknesses. It has created so many more health complications for so many Americans. And the idea that uh, America being one of the greatest countries, if not the greatest country in the history of the world, to be behind the 33 developed nations who have some form of a universal healthcare system, uh, is just, uh, it's absurd. We need to have a universal healthcare system because for the countries that do have it, their citizens don't have to think about it. They don't have to worry about uh, hospital bills. They don't have to worry about insurance premiums. They don't have to worry about uh, deductibles and, and basically how they're going to you know, get healthy. You should not have to go broke, go bankrupt to pay for health care, not in the greatest nation in the world. And so what the gentleman was just talking about is the argument of how do we pay for it? The argument of how we pay for policy in this country has always been the thing that keeps us from moving forward. Some people want to raise taxes on certain groups of individuals. Usually those individuals are the same ones who are writing policy and they're not going to go for it. So it causes a stalemate. Other groups in our United States Congress want to um, cut existing programs to be able to pay for new programs. But in any one of those scenarios, people are hurt in the process. And so what I've been working on is a way to be able to pay for a universal health care system. Uh, and it is it is costly because we're talking about 
at least $14 trillion over a 10-year period to be able to cover every single American. $14 trillion is a lot of money. And so you can raise taxes on the wealthiest of individuals, but you still won't have enough. Because if billionaires are paying taxes and they're paying millions, millions on every billionaire in America will not give you trillions of dollars. So that's just, it's not sustainable. Especially we have to come out with that they've been hiding their money overseas like we did yesterday. <laughs> well, yeah, overseas, there's about $3 trillion uh, that are, that's being held um, in foreign accounts that can't come back uh, to the United States. It was one of the things I thought that Trump was going to actually try and, and reverse, but he didn't do it. But there are other ways to generate new revenue models to pay for all of these progressive programs. Uh, if we were to legalize marijuana in the United States, uh, it would generate about $132 billion over eight years. So that alone is not enough. So that is one thing that we could do to put money into a pot to be able to pay for universal health care. Another thing that we could do, and it would get a lot of benefit from this, is if you think about every app on your phone, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of these social media apps, when you download these apps, they ask for certain permissions, permissions to have access to your microphone, to your uh, camera. And they take your conversations, they take your images, and they generate messages, and they sell those messages to companies because it's your privacy data that they want so they can turn around and market back to you. If we were to uh, tax the sale of all privacy data that is exchanged in America, we could generate trillions of dollars uh, and be able to pay for things like universal health care. The other thing that we need to do is we need to start engaging with new trading partners, countries that have commodities that we are currently not trading on our international trading platforms to generate new revenue. Uh, and, and there's, you know, there's public-private partnerships. You have right now where the American government is making or, or spending uh, close to $4 trillion a year, and it's only bringing in about $3 trillion. So we're always at a deficit. But you have companies like Amazon who's making literally more money than the government. If we were to start forming public-private partnerships with corporations that do not have as many relationships as the United States government, we could take our relationships, bring those corporations into those relationships, partner with these companies, and get a piece of the action, take revenues from that, uh, those business transactions, and put that into a pot. So one of the things that I'm working on is I'm putting together a comprehensive plan to be able to pay for universal health care, universal basic income, and free college tuition. And it's going to be it's going to come from a combination of all of these creative revenue models that do not allow us to have to raise taxes on individuals or cut existing programs to free up money for new programs. That's amazing. Um, and, and we'll go to Lauren here, but I think. What gets lost in this conversation is two things um, that I that I and this isn't about me, but um, I think it's worth saying that they um, we have we have companies right now that oftentimes can't afford to hire or promote people because of the insurance element where they you know they're paying a substantial portion of uh, 
of the insurance costs for their employees. And people don't generally, they seem to forget to factor in that money. Um, but secondly, you've got all these, you know, God bless you people, but you've got all these Republicans out there right now who are talking about literally that they don't want to go talk to their doctor um, about getting a coronavirus vaccine because they're afraid their doctor is suddenly part of some cabal uh, that's going to suggest that they take this this vaccine that's going to microchip them. I could have sworn a year ago that they were raving about how much they love their doctor and, uh, you know, that because of that, they didn't want to have uh, the government pick their doctor for them, which is, of course, the antithesis of the situation, because if you and this is something I think that you four as candidates need to make sure you add to your vernacular if you already have it, is that right now I have, for example, and, and Lauren knows a lot about Kaiser. If I if I don't like Kaiser, I can't go to, at you know, um, Alexian Brothers or or somebody who takes Blue Cross Blue Shield. With single pair, I would literally have more freedom to go to whichever doctor I choose rather than being pigeonholed into whomever my employer has a deal with. Um, Lauren, go ahead, sir. Yeah, thank you. I, I, I do know Kaiser. We call Kaiser uh, Killer Kaiser here in California. Uh, a lot of people have it. You know, I'm, it's, it's health coverage, which is which is better than nothing. Um, but I wanted to to uh, speak to the point of of this question that always comes up about how we pay for things. And I think for for me, um, as a Democrat, I'm really kind of tired of the question. Um, I, I think it's a waste of time of of, of having that discussion up front um, when there's people that are, uh, dying on the streets every day or people like my own mother who can't afford their prescriptions so they don't buy them and end up dying. Um, so it's a kind of a disingenuous question because it always ends up being one where that, that, that becomes an unless and until issue. Um, so when it comes to me, the question of how we pay for it is really just kind of a trick that Democrats that support single payer or universal type coverage kind of fall into. I think it's unfair to the millions and millions of Americans that are suffering from ailments and stress and, and bankruptcy um, to not engage uh, in the discussion of healthcare because there's always the, well, how are you going to pay? Sounds great, but how are you going to pay for it? Um, uh, I'm an advocate of encouraging Democrats to kind of really pick our fights on some of these issues, and whether it, it's it's the healthcare question or how do we pay for tuition-free college and universities, um, you know, how do we go about closing tax loopholes to do infrastructure, whatever the case may be. There's always going to be the how do you pay for it question. And Democrats are always falling into the trap of how are you going to pay for it when we've seen when Republican administrations and Republican um, uh, Republican cold controlled Congress don't answer that question at all. It almost seems like they never get answered, asked that question. So I think when we talk about uh, issues like health care, uh, we need to make the moral argument first so that everybody gets on the page, because I've talked to people. Um, in my district and and throughout the state of California that have that see something like healthcare as a privilege and it, it blows my mind <laughs> that that is 
we're still having those those discussions when clearly, um, you know, bankruptcy, medical bankruptcies, the number one uh, medical deaths, the number one cause of, of bankruptcy. Um, there's there's a lot to me about root causes. Um, so when I talk about um, other issues, uh, guns, for example, I am always trying to tie it back to our healthcare system. Um, Republicans constantly make the argument that it's guns aren't the problem, that it's mental health. Well, if we had a system with universal coverage that included mental health, you know, we could save a whole bunch of lives. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> kind of a thing. And so that's where I come from on this is I, I, I would love to, to engage, engage people on the moral grounds first and we can find ways to pay for it uh, later, but we got to win on, on the, on the issue first. That's beautiful. Um, all right. So I'm going to, I know I have three candidates who want to talk and just so you guys know, uh, a lot of these candidates gave me an hour. They're past that. So, um, if any of you have to get off by all means, um, just wave and I'll let you say goodbye before you got to go. Uh, Nikosi, you had a question first and then we'll go to Alan to follow to, and well, let's go, uh, we'll let, let Nikosi ask his question and then Alan had his hand up to re respond to it. I'll, we'll do that if we can. Uh, Nikosi D, go ahead, sir. Thank you. Uh, and, uh, do feel free to call me Dwight. Nikosi is the title, uh, more so than the name. Um, and I do have a couple of questions. Um, I heard, um, Brother Ellison speak on new revenue streams, i.e. taxing um, vices or, or things like marijuana sales or maybe taxing data. And my initial question on that is, uh, beyond the, the obvious problems with PAYGO that the previous uh, speaker just, just mentioned, uh, why those things? Why not tax, you know, churches? Why not tax, uh, you know, why pick those things? There, there's so many different kinds of things to tax. Why, you know, what, what makes you want to pick those things and, and why a tax on those kinds of things rather than a general consumption tax that would actually probably serve to, to generate more money and be far less uh, easy to dodge. And, and, and the second question, uh, and also based on what you said, uh, uh, Alan, but also to any candidate who wants to ask it, if you do actually have to talk about the cost uh, and, and, and again, I think there's a number of reasons why you shouldn't. But if you do have to actually talk about the cost of providing healthcare, when you put it at 1.4 trillion per year, are you actually integrating the current profit-based, profit incentive-based cost uh, models, or are you actually looking at this cost from what it actually should cost if we weren't paying uh, exorbitant prices for the medical care uh, just to to pad the pockets of of, of of people, and also, are, are you afraid that that cost uh, is also a human cost as well? Because if we actually reduce the cost in the medical system, it would actually reduce a whole lot of human uh, labor as well. And is that something that you're um, contemplating in that situation? So, those are the questions that I had. Anybody can ask. I'll sit back and listen. Thanks. That is that is, that a, is, fantastic that is a fantastic question and well phrased. So, um, Alan, go ahead. Alan, you're on mute, brother. Yeah, thank you for your question. So, um, you know, to answer the first one, which was why not 
uh, tax churches. Um, there's a separation between church and state. And just because there are a lot of televangelists who uh, go around like Kenneth Copeland taking advantage of people, there are still uh, thousands of churches that are doing what they need to be doing for their communities. And so when you think about a church, you're talking about a 501c3 organization uh, set up for religious purposes, but there are other 501c3s or 501c2s, 3s, 4s, 5s, 6s, the whole gamut of the nonprofit spectrum under the Internal Revenue Code. So uh, it wasn't that there's these other models that you mentioned that I'm not interested in. It's just that these are the ones that I have identified and I am, I am very interested in any new revenue model that we could use to pay for programs uh, that benefit the American public. The thing that I wanted to um, touch on, and I really appreciate what Lauren had to say, to say was, you know, if we get into the arguments and the debate of how do we pay for it, I think that for any politician that's currently in office that does not support universal health care, uh, universal basic income or free college tuition, if they don't support it simply because they don't know how to pay for it, then that is reason enough to get those types of politicians out of office because we we vote for these people because they're supposed to be people with great minds who can figure out problems and figure out solutions to the issues that we face. And if you're talking about how we're going to pay for it and they're throwing the buck to someone else to try to figure it out, that's not what we need. So what I am doing, what my team is doing, we're working on various models uh, to be able to pay for these programs. And whenever we get done crunching the numbers and looking at all of the, um, the, the sustainability aspects of, of the policies, then we will put those out. But I do know that it is possible. It's possible because 33 other developed nations are already doing it. We're the only ones that's not. But we're also the country that that is constantly engaged in uh, philosophical, ideological debates that keep us from moving our policies forward. And so that's why I talk a lot about being united for America, because I believe that it is the bridges that can help us to get to where we're trying to go. Right now, we're in a society where it's all about building walls and keeping us divided. So I came up with these models because these models don't allow us to get into the political, philosophical, and ideological debate that we are currently in. Like when we talk about raising taxes on wealthy individuals. Again, the people that are wealthy are the people who are writing the policy. So they're not going to go for that. So that's like a mute point. And it has been a mute point for so many policies that we need. That's why we haven't gotten them done yet. And then for the ones who care a lot about other people, we don't want to see programs get cut. So that's going to be a mute uh, point. So what we have is we have a constant stalemate in Congress. So again, when we look throughout history and when we look around the world to see how other countries are paying for what their citizens need, Oftentimes, they're being very creative and doing it in ways that we don't do it in this country. You take like the United Arab Emirates. They take a lot of their oil revenue and they invest in industry and take industry revenue to pay for their current and future economy. Saudi Arabia, they have the 2030 vision. It's all about investing. We need to we need to pick up some of these models that work and get away from always trying to tax people so much because taxation has always been a burden. 
and there is a better way. Awesome. Um, I believe Brent was next, uh, uh, and we'll get back to you, Nikosi, and I see Jeff, and I believe and Peru has his hand up, had uh, asked to talk as well. Brent, your thoughts on on uh, what Nikosi had mentioned um, regarding universal health care. Okay, I'm going to give a quick, very small backstory and paraphrase as much as possible. <clears throat> My most recent career, I was asked to drop everything I was doing at any moment and fly to here, there, wherever, around the globe to set up laser-based uh, and calibrate laser-based cinema systems. I flew to France, was working on a system. I got a metal shard in my thumb. I spent the next 10 hours trying from the wrong side of the earth, trying to get a hold of HR and after hours, Blue Cross, Blue Shield to, to figure out how in the world I was going to go get this taken care of while I was in France. And the person I was working with that was from France was like, no, we'll just go to the doctor. No, we'll just go to the doctor. And I kept discounting it. Um, ten hours later, we went to the doctor. I wrote my name on a clipboard. The doctor did speak some English. And uh, he lanced it and took the metal shard out and put some neosporin and a Band-Aid on it. He gave me some over-the-counter medicine of a uh, antibiotic. Um, and we left. And I was like, what is going on here? Like... I didn't show him my Blue Cross card. I never showed him my Washington State driver's license. Like He's like, no, I've been trying to tell you for 10 hours. You're hurt, you go to the doctor. That was it. That was, that was the whole thing. I left with the prescription and got treated. People in France, their overall cost per capita for health care with everyone covered is significantly less because people seek preventative treatment early. We don't know what the American model would actually end up costing because all we have are bad numbers based upon emergency room visits, upon waiting until it's so bad that you need the hyper-specialist to help you. So... So all these numbers that anybody quotes right now, we do know we're spending about 18% of GDP uh, on healthcare, but we don't really know if that's what our final number will be because people are, it's all out of whack. You, when you look at the healthcare coverage rates of lower income people, they're significantly lower. So they're making less money. They're less likely to have health care coverage, which makes them more likely to use the more expensive emergency services. And that drives up overall health care costs, plus all the billing and all the everything else. People have to admit we need to create jobs. We need to make good paying jobs. We also need to put some of these middlemen out of business that are making money just moving the paper along while someone seeking care. My wife the other day, we have good health coverage. My wife took uh, my, my son in who had an issue and she overheard from the next cubicle over the person saying, I don't have $200 for my copay. And the woman said, oh, well, we'll just send you a bill for that. She said, well, I guess I'll figure that out when it comes. My wife came home crying because 
the billing person never had said anything about the fact that the emergency room doctor is going to send a totally separate bill. That billing person was only worried about the $200 emergency room copay. And so we have a broken system and 10 people billing for the same visit. When those hurdles start to be removed, the cost of doing healthcare will come down. We need to create a plan to how we're going to get these people into other good jobs. They can handle data. They can probably be retrained into technology. But watching daytime ads for, oh, you can do medical coding from home, that's all because of this billing infrastructure that we've created with our private, often for-profit, healthcare system. I I did have Kaiser coverage as a child, um, and, and I liked it. I'm sorry, Lauren, and, and I'm sorry that it's been less than stellar for uh, your area. Um, but with that, it, it, people have good outcomes and people have bad outcomes. We need to have people have good outcomes. And going to a universal plan will help that. With that, it's a matter of you brought up employers can't promote from within because all of a sudden they're hitting a threshold that now they have to provide employer-based health care. We need employers to be paying an employment tax. I do not have a rate for it. But where if you're working minimum wage and, you know, at, at any small business or chain business, they're paying an amount into that universal system that isn't a, a watershed breakover moment. It needs to be a smaller percentage, and it's just a cost of doing business. Business in America has figured out how to do cost of doing business. We need to, to put that on them. We need to reallocate. And with that, we also need to get rid of the regressive user fees and paywalls, which are co-pays, deductibles, and all these things that make people not seek care until it becomes so big in their life. That, that is a huge thing. With, with when my wife had her issue with her pregnancy and everything else, we left the hospital without a daughter with a $4,500 bill after our insurance portion, along with paying for a funeral home to pick up our daughter and cremate and put her in an urn and bring it home. It was a triple whammy. We left without our child. And oh, by the way, please give us $4,500 for the service. That's... That's the breakdown there. And it happens if you break your ankle. Oh, I'm sorry you broke your ankle. Here's your bill for $2,000, and I'm sorry you can't work for the next two weeks to be able to make the money to pay that bill. We have major issues, and they all stem back to paywalls that go with the regressive user fees and the double traumas of using our healthcare system. David, um, and, and I know Nikasi, I, 
asked before, and I'll send this over to David because he had his hand up a little bit before Lauren did. Um, Nikosi asked about the profit. Um, Nikosi, why don't you reiterate your question so that David can can answer it, if you would. And you're still on mute, Nikosi. I think the question was basically, you know, uh, and, and I think whoever was just speaking just spoke to it, uh, that when we estimate these costs of what we have to actually pay, if we, if we, and again, I, I, I detest getting involved in that conversation, but because it seems like all of our elected officials are determined to do it, I'm going to engage in it for, for the, you know, being the devil's advocate here. But as that one point, does that $1.4 trillion a year cost, um, is that based on our current profit-based models? Is that based on all, you know, the current bad information, you know, and, and, and like I said, the last speaker just actually um, detailed it much better than I did with all of the waste and, and, and other profit incentivized costs. If all that was taken out, are we still looking at the same costs? So would it be that much, you know, are, are we even basing these numbers on real numbers or are the numbers fictitious? Uh, David, Lauren, you want to grab one of that? Yeah, just real quick. I, I think, you know, Alan and Lauren made some really good points about allowing the cost to be deterrent for for getting a single-payer healthcare system going. Um, and I like the the fact that we, we have ideas on the table of, of different ways to pay for it. To your point, I don't know if those numbers include all those different costs. I also understand that you know, in the United States, our labor costs are, are 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 much greater than in those developed countries that we talked about. You know, our medical professionals make quite a bit more than what you make abroad, um, what, which is why it's so important that that you know we have people who are willing to sit down and look at creative ways to pay for this. Because I, I agree, I think that's why it's been such a deterrent to this point that we've talked about taxes, which way to tax, which way to tax, instead of you know, thinking outside of the box and preparing ourselves to to find money in the manner that we find money for uh, our defense uh, budget, which is astronomical. And I won't even get into that. But um, I, I think that's a, a huge point. And I, th I think we need to ensure that we're, we're keeping in mind those those different labor costs and what we're going to do about that. Because, you know, uh, like I said before, you know, just to reiterate, we we our, our physicians make good money here in, in the United States and we need to keep, uh, but that, but again, to, to Alan and Lauren's point and Brent, I mean, they're, they're right, man. We, we have to stop using cost as, as a, as a reason for why we're not moving ahead. We need those ideas. We need to get them on paper and we need to get stuff passed. So um, I, 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 I hope that, I hope that helps a little bit as far as the cost. If um, I could um, just respond to that really quickly. If you're going yep, to add yep. the cost of, of the medical professionals and, and how much we pay them, then I think that drags us into what necessarily should be a part of this conversation is that, and, and Alan mentioned it earlier, is that none of this stuff can be looked at in isolation. Part of the reason why we need universal health care and why we need universal education is to reduce the cost of generating the medical professionals we need so that we can actually provide the services we need without medical professionals feeling like they got to, you know, be paid $150,000, $200,000 a year just to pay off that exorbitant medical uh, school uh, tuition that they, they had to pay for. So, and, and having to have, you know, having spent significant money on, on, on post-secondary education myself and, and knowing how difficult it is to find jobs that will actually 
allow you to pay that off? I, you know, these, these are these are questions that, that, again, we can't even have these conversations in a vacuum. If we had these conversations in a systemic and holistic manner, a lot of the things that we claim to be problems or issues would not even present as problems and issues. Yeah, and it's yeah, funny, it's, you know, they, they, we've got, I've, I've watched as this room has gone on with this intelligent conversation about a uh, single-payer system, and I've seen five or six uh, Republican folks that I know um, join into this room. None of them have bothered to say a word because I guess they just don't have anything uh, <laughs> to, to, to reiterate um, or, or to, go, to, to go against what we're talking about here. So... Um, Jeff, I see you, but you did speak once. I want to give Brandon a shot here. So, Brandon, uh, Lauren is next up to answer a question. Lauren is running for Congress uh, in California. Uh, Brandon, what is your question, sir? My question specifically uh, was, as a Canadian, um, I've always had, like, a universal health care system. So my question is, it's not a system that we've seen around the world fail, but it's a system that Americans are still obviously speculative about and don't fully understand how it works. Public safety is a huge issue when it comes to healthcare. How? What? What are your plans to generate public safety um, around a universal basic health, a universal healthcare system, and sell it and quote unquote sell it to the American people? I'll go ahead and, and, and kind of hop in and answer that if that's okay with uh, the fellas. I'd appreciate it. Yeah, um, as so, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Brad, and, and just to, to really kind of – to answer your question is, you know, we have uh, sickness care in this country. Um, I don't know what the the cost is of, of – of, of, uh, the analysis done on on the studies of how much a single payer plan would would cost. I do know that the cost of doing nothing is not only going to we're going to lose more fellow Americans here in this country, uh, but that cost is going to increase. Um, so to me, if we are ready to um, un, un increase our defense budget without question. Um, I think we also need to start looking at healthcare and the applications of healthcare through the lens of it being um, national security. Um, you know, I these public service campaigns that um, Michelle Obama tried to do about just kids getting out and getting exercise. Uh, was demonized I, by by uh, conservatives in the the news media. Um, you know, we have all these wacky stories about uh, places in New York trying to limit the size of sodas that are getting sold. But really, at at that's like the type of level that we need to start looking at health in this country. Um, to the point of of what Brent was talking about with. Uh, the cost uh, of things, we have no idea what the savings are, are going to be um, because we have the sickness care in this country. But I can tell you um, uh, for, for, for black people in this country, 
Um, we know that if we can go to the doctor before we get diabetes, that it, not only are we going to be safe and healthy, but that's a cost that we don't have down the road. I don't have to have a grandparent who is rationing, rationing her insulin down the road because she got the care she needed before we got to that point. Um, so I think in all these like issues, we need to look at them from a, a lens of national security because that seems to be the only way to get across the aisle uh, to folks is, is, is talk to them based on values that they care about. I think everybody has uh, uh, the value of security. We want to feel safe. We want to know uh, that we're safe in our own um, homes and in our country. Um, but that security also means that we want to be healthy. And when we go to the doctor, um, that we're not going to, it's not going to cost us an arm and a leg. So we don't go until we're at the absolute worst spot. Um, the pandemic has shown us that, you know, black and brown people are the ones affected most by uh, COVID. And they're also among the least likely to go to the doctor. Um, another thing that's, that's, you know, related to that. And as a person who clearly, if you look at my picture, I clearly love fried chicken, but, um, obesity is, is a, a thing. And it's a thing that, you know, I've struggled with. Um, uh, but if we had programs to, to kind of address that, I think we would have, we'd be in better positions, um, from a defense Allison. standpoint. So I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll, I'll pass it off there. Do you mind but, if I um, respond for a quick second and I ask a follow-up? Yeah, well? go for it. So in the U.S., um, healthcare spending per person back in 2019 was $10,966, according to reports issued by the U.S. CDC. Health spending in countries with a universal basic healthcare system, were, such as Canada, were $7,064 per person in relative currency, as notated by the um, Canadian CDC issued there. Now, the United States' currency is roughly at a 26% premium than the Canadian currency, or sorry, Canadian currency is at roughly a 26% premium. So if you factored that off in American dollars, Canadians realistically were paying about 5300 and Americans are paying roughly 7900 Canadian dollars, or American dollars. So we're paying 5500 to your almost 11000 American for care that includes free healthcare visits, includes health safety analysis that allows for free surgeries, emergency surgeries, hospital visits. Um, we don't have a universal pharmacare system yet, but that's what's currently being discovered next. So we do have those healthcare comparison numbers there and how universal basic healthcare is not only safe and effective, but it's affordable as well. Um, my question, though, is on the public information of it. Conspiracy theories are becoming a huge issue in the United States, as shown with QAnon and as other conspiracy theories have. On your point with America, we have to show Americans to care about one another. That hasn't worked with the pandemic. What is your plan to ensure that we can sell the idea of universal health care to every American and show that it can benefit them? Sure. So you know, I, I think of I think of um, Ronald Reagan, 
in this in this instance and what he was able to do in convincing people and convincing the average person that government can't do anything right and that government was the problem and we have lived with that notion for um, you know a generation um, so for for me it is is it is about um, expressing um, values and having uh, do we, the, the, the best outreach that I could I can say when it comes to health that I've seen in in working with folks in our community has been that that peer to peer or neighbor to neighbor um, is really kind of the only thing that I I, I can look at it, it, we, we have to get on that we have to get on the scale of, of what Reagan was able to do and convincing folks that the government can be a solution that the best of government is way better than um, the status quo. Um, I think for me, it is circulating it around the value of freedom. Um, I, I have a lot of folks in the conservative Central Valley that I'm from, the like one red part of California, uh, that always like to talk about freedom. And to me, expressing freedom uh, in healthcare is one of those things that is now um, I'm hearing all the time in, in these conservative uh, circles uh, about the freedom to go without a vaccine mandate and this and that. Um, but the freedom to make your own health choices. Uh, so for me, a, a Canadian style plan would be uh, ideal. But I think we ultimately should have a, a, a health structure that allows for people to still have uh, supplemental insurance if they choose. So uh, that that's one of the things that we can mitigate uh, and, and cut off that I don't trust the government. Well, you have the choice if you want to, uh, to, to have supplemental health coverage, which is what we kind of really have now with Medicare. Uh, if you have a Medicare C Advantage plan, you can have uh, Kaiser or uh, United Healthcare plan to supplement the Medicare baseline of coverage that you already have. Uh, so for me, that freedom of choice has got to be an element in there if we are going to, um, almost in the, in the way that folks were talking about single payer a couple years ago, that we would have a single payer health system and people would you know, get on it, see how great it was, and then choose that to be, and we'd slowly kind of phase out these other other forms. Um, I think it's going to be incremental. I think that's um, um, how we're going to have to do that. Uh, I'll let Brother Ellison get get um, tech yeah, on. We'll go, to, we'll, we'll go to we'll go to Alan, uh, and then Jeff can ask his question, then we'll go to David. That's okay. Alan, you're up, brother. Uh, Brandon, thank you so much for the question. Um, you know, almost every progressive policy that uh, we want to be able to move forward with, there are Republican um, negative branding uh, language attached to it. So when we talk about Medicare for all, the first thing the Republicans often try to say is it's socialism. And so when when you attach negative branding to uh, policy that can literally benefit every American, if it is not countered, it begins to take 
on like a life of its of its own. People begin to buy into it. The thing that the Republicans are very good at is controlling the narrative about what policy is for uh, progressives and Democrats. And the thing that Democrats need to really wake up to is the concepts of branding and marketing to be able to control their own messaging. I have a, a background in public relations and marketing, so I understand that we have to be able to win on the messaging to be able to con to control the outcome of what policies we want to put out. Now, on a on an individual level, uh, I deal with people because I live in the, the largest and most red congressional district in the state of Florida. So I deal with this issue a lot. And so sometimes I just ask simple questions like, um, if, if the government were not going to tax you, but you could still have a uh, universal healthcare system where uh, you won't have to pay for deductibles, you won't have to pay for premiums, uh, and you'll be able to keep more money in your bank account to maybe even put it towards, uh, you know, some type of savings or investments or vacation, would that benefit you? And when you put it to people like that, there is no real argument because oftentimes they are only operating off of the speaking points. And the problem with speaking points is they usually don't have any, uh, any weight. They usually don't have a strong foundation for, uh, for success. And so if you take truth, if you take what's real and you put it to people in a way that they can understand it, then usually they're able to get on board. I remember when, uh, the affordable care act was first enacted, but it hadn't gone to the president's desk. The Republicans tried to demonize that uh, piece of legislation simply because Obama's name was associated with it. So they started to call it Obamacare. And I'll never forget, uh, I was dealing with a Republican and she was saying that her insurance uh, had gone up because of the Obamacare. And this was like in November. The policy didn't actually take place until January. But in November, she was saying that her that Obamacare caused her insurance to go up. And so I said, well, what would you rather have? Would you rather have Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act? She said, I would rather have the Affordable Care Act. And I said, are you sure? Obamacare is much better than the Affordable Care Act. No, I don't want Obamacare. I want the Affordable Care Act. And I said, okay. I said, well, what if I told you that the Affordable Care Act and Obamacare are the same thing? It's just one is a demonized version of the other. The Republicans tried to call it Obamacare to make it sound like something negative. And I said, do you don't think that it's possible that you're dealing with insurance company greed rather than uh, the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare? You say, no, it's Obamacare. I say, well, what if I tell you that it doesn't actually take effect until January and we're right now in November? And so what happens is there's a there's a real issue of education or the lack thereof in this country. We need to start uh, teaching our people better. I know that some people believe that there is a such thing as willful ignorance. I don't believe that anybody's uh, want to be ignorant. I think that people try to save face when they're caught in ignorance. But we need to educate our public better. When it comes to civics, 
most in America, most children are getting their civics knowledge in ninth grade when they really don't care about civics. And after ninth grade, they don't get any more government. And then if they don't go to college for it, then they're starting to learn government by watching Fox News. And that is not a good way to learn government. I'm a political scientist. I went to college for this. So the things that comes very natural and easy for me, I recognize that it doesn't come so easy to the next person. And so to answer the question, how do we win on the messaging? We have to educate. I believe that campaigning is educating. So that means that we have to research. We have to learn. We have to plan. We have to put our our models together and show the people how they directly benefit. Because if you don't, if you can't show them how they directly benefit, the only thing they're going to be able to do is to grab the speaking points that they've heard off of television. But with enough information, you can tear every speaking point down. I always say that a comprehensive opinion does not mean one has in-depth and or factual knowledge of the subject matter at hand. Where everybody possesses an opinion, but not everybody possesses the facts. Keep sharing facts about how government really work, and we'll get beyond these speaking points. That's amazing. Um, unfortunately, hey, can I can I jump in for just two seconds? Yeah. Just I, I'll be as quick as possible. The Republicans are the kings of the three-word chant. They they have it figured out, and every time Democrats try and come up with one, we end up stepping on ourselves. Um, the, whoever their whole group is that figures it out, but their three word chant, Alan's totally right. We have to 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 explain it away, but we need one minute or five minutes to explain something away that they have already got the entire crowd three-word chanting, and that's the ACA versus Obamacare versus any of the other stuff is just, they, uh, Democrats always, we want to explain things, and the group just wants to chant their chant. Yeah, and that's that, that's a great point, as we go, we'll go to Jeff here, um, but the, the issue that we have is that we're not going to convert that 28% of MAGA, because they'll, 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 talk to Alan and Alan will say as articulately and as brilliantly as he said what he just said, um, oh, well, it doesn't kick in until January. Uh, you're, you're just fake news. So, you know, it, it, it's that they move down what we call the what I call the four D's moving from deny the fact, discredit the source um, and then moving into what's the other um, deny, discredit. Uh, deflect and say, what about Hillary? What about Obama, et cetera? Or what about this? Um, and then finally to defame, they just call you a name. So um, it, it's it's very difficult. But what we can do is that when Alan and Lauren and Brent and David have these conversations with MAGA acolytes around people who are not that and maybe just are kind of trying to decide which of these two sides is right, it's going to be abundantly clear where the truth is. Jeff, brother, I know you have a question. Uh, go ahead and just make sure you ask who you're asking your question to. Yeah, actually, actually it's more just some comments. Uh, yeah, you nailed it. That, that 30% that you see, you'll never get rid of that. They, they exist in any nation. It's just a spectrum of intelligence and education. That's it. 
you know, you'll, you'll never, <clears throat> you'll never bring them up to speed, but you got to get the other ones above that up to speed. The one near the 51% line, <clears throat> uh, as for diabetes, just for just a point of levity, uh, I caught diabetes cause I drove down to Seattle and had a Krispy Kreme donut. Uh, you know, that's, that's kind of what got me going on to it. But, uh, and, and last week my, uh, my ass ate my thong, but besides, besides that, uh, I, I heard mention of a make about it being a moral decision, you know, about healthcare and that. I view it more as a patriotic decision because, uh, you know, liberty can only exist in the context of we, the people and not me, the people. And that's been the, that's been the problem from day one after the Revolutionary War was fought and won. And, and while it was certainly time to branch out, nothing actually changed. The tyrant of King George went to the colonies, you know, the subcultures of human oppression. Those were the new tyrants. And that's what Benjamin Franklin meant when he said it's a republic if you can keep it. And some of these other guys. And they, these guys knew that all tax was, it was just society rent. Nobody, nobody's entitled to the societies they're born into and making money with no end in sight at the expense of humanity. They provided a line of demarcation. And my research, it's based on mathematics and science. Uh, and it's a testimony to the genius of Benjamin Franklin, and it can be illustrated. But, uh, but And I, I anticipate in about 10 years from now, this healthcare thing will start to turn around because it'll be probably be deemed as being a constitutional right uh, um, among a few other things. But I like the way that you phrase that as the, it's a patriotism thing. Um, it looks like it's Luana. Uh, you had requested to speak. Um, uh, go ahead. If you're, if you're still there. Yes, I'm still here. Luana Sheridan. Um, hi Luana. Hi. I've been a Democrat all my life. I was raised a Democrat. Um, we need to change our messaging on socialism. So many <laughs> things that we pay for are socialism. I pay for other people's children to go to school, but I don't have a child in school. I pay for fire. I don't need the fire department. I pay for police. I've never needed them. I pay for roads, bridges, you know, everything that's actually we pull our money together and that's socialism. And that needs to be explained. The Democrats have not done a good job about explaining when Republicans say socialism, communism, you know, that's not right. That's the opposite. It's amazing that you say that. We say all the time the Democratic Party needs a new marketing department. I think David had his hand up first, and then we'll go to Lauren. Um, and then Rosa will be next. Yeah, Lauren, to, to, to just kind of piggyback off what you're saying, you're absolutely right. And I, and I think it is our responsibility uh, in our party to do so because it appears that the other side is using it as a, as a way to uh, to go back to Alan's point, to demean something, to to make something seem wrong or bad, um, our uh, our military, uh, their health care is socialist, if you will. Uh, 
Um, so it, it's 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 very it's a very important subject, and and this goes back to uh, what we're going to do to convince people about um, our what healthcare uh, doing a Medicare for all um, goes because right now, if you think about it, America. I think the last time I checked, you said you guys said it's 70 percent agree on 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 a Medicare for all. It's just how we sell it. And it's who's actually passing the bills. This is why it's important that we bring in new new uh, elected officials to actually get these things passed. Um, but but it is it is it is so interesting to me when when people talk about uh, socialist programs and how bad they are when we're when like you said we, we are already using it. And I think it's just a matter of how we speak it uh, and, and and how we discuss that with the public uh, instead of. This is going to go back to, um, you know, back in 1978 uh, when Republicans started being louder than Democrats. And and listen, a lot of the stuff that that politicians to get into their into their seat uh, is a bunch of BS and they lie about things or they they stretch the truth. But they're loud. And that's something that I am. I am encouraging all of our Democratic um nominee uh excuse me candidates to 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 become we don't have to be we don't have to be rude we don't have to be um deceitful uh but we do need to raise our voices and we do need to make sure that we're heard and understood and we explain things in a way that everyone or most everyone in this country will understand so absolutely great point Yes, thank you, Luana. Um, so we're running down on time here. We got about I got about twenty minutes left to host this, so we're gonna shotgun through. Rosa, um, what's up? How are you? You may speak. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, ma'am, we can. Oh, nice. Okay, I'll go real quick. So Lauren spoke earlier about um, being safe in your home, and you guys spoke about healthcare. So my question is, well, comment, then question. Uh, there are cities that consistently uh, keep failing to meet the EPA air quality standards uh, set by the American Lung Association. More often than not, there's a disproportionate number of black, brown, and low-income people that live in these same cities. Um, these places have the highest rates of asthma, lung cancer, um, all types of diseases, higher rates of COVID coming out of these places as well. So this is affecting the black, brown, and low-income communities. Um, if, I don't know who wants to answer this question, but if sent to Congress, what would you do to um, combat environmental racism? Because that's basically what that is. These are the black and brown communities are... Um, just being hit very hard from these things and these issues. And they, go ahead. Oh no, I'm sorry. I, I, I apologize. I thought you were, you, you had stopped there. Um, I'm going to push that one to Lauren because mm -hmm. Lauren lives uh, near me. I live in Bakersfield. Uh, Lauren lives up um, in the Fresno area, I'm guessing based on where he's running. So as Lauren will tell you, when we have fires, um, this, we don't get the fires because there's nothing to burn, but we get to smoke. Uh, so Lauren, what do we do about, um, Rosa yes. And then, thank you, Rosa, for your question. 
um, because it is something that I actually deal with on an everyday basis. Um, so I'm an operations manager at the Regional Water Quality Control Board here for the state of California. And, um, you know, what one of my focuses is dealing with disadvantaged communities. Those are our outlying uh, minority communities who have to deal with uh, situations where a very agri- uh, agriculture industrial um, uh, area. Um, and with that comes pesticides. And so uh, one of the things that uh, I work with is dealing with communities that are pre- predominantly migrant farm workers, uh, non-English speaking communities um, that can't turn on their faucets. We, we talked about Flint, Michigan, um, and, and the crisis that was happening there, uh, we have the same kind of crisis that's happening in the middle of, I, I don't mean to offend everybody, but in the, the greatest state <laughs> in the country. Um, and that's, that's really saying something because, you know, California, we pride ourselves on, on this, um, you know, liberal utopia, but we have citizens who uh, can't turn on their faucets and get clean water. Um, when it comes to environmental justice, uh, I always think of uh, the phrase that we heard last summer through all the George Floyd protests and um, and and Black Lives Matter rallies that happened about you know I can't breathe. Um, that phrase can literally sum up the environmental justice um, movement here in California and across this country uh, because. You know, when it comes to uh, climate change and the effects of climate change, we have wildfires that was alluded to. Um, I referee uh, high school football games, and we've had to cancel high school football games because the air quality has been horrendous uh, to where you can't even go outside and see the, the, the sun anymore. It's, it's a hazed out sun. Um, when it comes to these, you know, 500 year storms, these thousand year storms that we're seeing across the country, they affect, uh, a lot of predominantly black and brown communities, um, in, in terms of the damage. Um, so one of the things that I would like to see is something, uh, passed to like the Thrive Act where we are. Uh, spending our dollars and investing in those communities that are particularly hit or susceptible, um, that have historic, um, historically been affected by, by pollution. One of the programs that I support now is a fee and dividend plan where we're taxing uh, carbon. California, we do have a carbon tax. So what I, one of the things that we sh- can adopt nationwide is a carbon tax and pay dividends directly to the people that are affected uh, in these communities, um, putting people to work to create green uh, green jobs in, in places um, where there is nothing to do. Uh, there is no industry uh, other than 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 pollution. Um, so that that's just some some ideas that I have there uh, when it comes to to environmental justice. Would anyone else like to touch on that? And then we have to get to uh, KJ as well as um, I believe KJ was first and then Barrett. Um, but would anyone else like to touch on Rosa's point? I'll touch on it really quick with the fact that 
we need to, with the climate crisis, which is creating a lot of this uh, air quality environmental crisis, we have to work towards clean energy jobs, as Lauren was just talking about, in all these areas, because we're going to have to transition away from my beloved uh, combustion engine cars that I like tinkering with, that we talked about at the very top of this. Um we're going to have to move to electrified, which is going to strain our electric grid beyond capacity. Um, so we need to to work on getting people into those positions, building that infrastructure with the Build Back Better program, so that as we get people to transition away from their beloved gas pump cars, we have an electrical infrastructure that can scale up with that and it needs to be clean clean energy and continue on addressing climate change and these these air quality issues and and we'll go to baron here or i'm sorry kj i believe was first but i, I want to i just going to say this on behalf of white people it's on it's incumbent on white people to call out white people when white people see that too many black or brown people have moved into their neighborhood and they figure, well, time to move. Because this is how we end up with these types of issues in the first place. We would not be as segregated of a country as we are if and, – and, and, and I don't think hate is an ingredient here. I think it's fear. Um, I, I don't know any white person who's, who hates uh, minorities. It's, it's ignorance. Yes. It's ignorance. Yes. It's, it's ignorance and it's fear. And, you know, my wife is Hispanic and she herself has said, too many Mexicans move in, it's time to move out. Like that, that's, that is just an abysmal outlook that we have. Uh, the, the town I was born in is called South Holland, Illinois. It is called South Holland, Illinois for a reason because it was a Dutch community in the 50s, 60s, 70s. I was born in, in, the, in 74. There's not a white person there now. Not one. And that's because as it started to diversify, they moved out, property taxes went down, schools went to shit, businesses went away, and then all the government just starts to ignore that area. So it's incumbent on white people to call that out uh, and, and say, hey, we got to do better because we know better. Um, KJ, you're up, sir. Mike is okay. I'm on now. Okay. <laughs> so, um, Utah, I'm a white person. Um, Obamacare was amended 278 times by the Congress. Uh, people said to Barack Obama, do you really want to go through with this? Do you want to sign this? Because it's not, it's nothing like what you proposed and what we put forth. And I hate to say it, but Joe Biden was the chief negotiator with the Republican Senate on Obamacare. I worked in healthcare for uh, 29 years and 10 months. Um, the last five years of my career in healthcare, uh, if you got an acquired infection in the hospital, then Obamacare didn't have to pay for it. The hospital had to eat the cost. And that pitted nurses against doctors, doctors against nurses, uh, nurses against techs, Everyone was accusing each other. It raised the cost of healthcare just enormously. Everything had to be done completely, full body sterile on on procedures. Um, it was ridiculous. Um, and we have Senator Rick Scott, um, who 
actually sign the paperwork um, to proceed with the uh, theft um, of Medicare and Medicaid funds when he was at HCA. Um, but he was never prosecuted by um, I, I just want to say that there's there's got to be more anger. There's got to be more. There's got to be more conviction, conviction. In I apologize there. That was my fault. Continue, KJ. There needs to be more conviction. Um, Mitch McConnell is never going to let us not have money taken out of our paychecks every two weeks uh, for Social Security. Um, this whole argument with Social Security, I paid through over $378,000 into Social Security. I'm going to get railroad, railroad, railroad retirement, so I'm not even going to see any any Social Security. Um, but I've been paying into it all these years, um, which I, I have no problem doing that because Congress started stealing from Medica from uh, Social Security back in 1972, and they never paid it back. They owe about $3.2 trillion to social, the Social Security Fund. So every time I hear a Republican say, we need to end Social Security. This is socialism. I get so angry because my father came back from the Monica Cito campaign after the D-Day campaign rescued him. And they told him, hey, you're an American. You got Social Security. You have these other benefits. You know, this is this is what you got. You you preserved America. Um, so we've got a lot of things. I mean, the fact that Matt Gates is not in jail. I mean, I, there's a lot of conviction here that really needs to be done and needs to be put out there every day Matt Gates is not in jail. I mean, that's, that's just a slap in the face. That just shows other people they can get away with anything, you know, and Rick, Rick Scott, um, Rick Scott. Yeah. Rick Scott, excuse me, the Senator from Florida, <laughs> he, he signed the paperwork, uh, that, that committed the fraud for HCA. He was the CEO. Um, he never got prosecuted. He's, the FBI has never gone back and done anything, but we have a lot of problems with that. But, what people aren't thinking about the environment too is we have the permafrost thawing. Uh, COVID nineteen was something we never saw or anticipated. Uh, of course, we some people did. They said, you know, it's been a hundred years. Yeah, it's about time um, we had something like this happen. But the, when the permafrost permafrost thaws, there's going to be infections that animals are going to get that we haven't seen for four million, eight million, sixteen million years, um, and that's happening. That's irreversible. Um, I'm in a bowl here in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, my air quality is bad. I, I worked with a doctor here, Dr. Mensch, who's been working on air quality um, for over 20 years. And it's been that long of an issue here in, in Utah. Um, so, yeah, the, the environment – and we cannot go off the grid here in Utah. I can't go off the grid. That needs to be a federal law that we're able to go off the grid. I, I can sell my power back to Rocky Mountain Power uh, on my solar panels, but I can't ever go off the grid. So if I have an incident like Texas – we can't go off the grid. So let, let me, let me just put, and, and I appreciate it. We, we were on a little bit of a time crunch. Yeah. David, you're close to Utah. Speak on that real quick. David, you're on mute. If you're trying to talk. Sorry. I thought you said Dan for some reason. <laughs> Not Dan, David, go ahead. Oh, uh, listen, this, this, these are all really good points, and I think it, it all goes back to the 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 capabilities of people in Congress right now. Obviously, they're you know to touch on what we were speaking about earlier about the division between you know the people in America and the people in Congress. That's where it comes down to is the people in Congress. Two thirds of America believe that the government needs to do more about climate change. 
right? So why why aren't things getting done? It, it, it's all going to continue to go back, guys, to the the abilities to to sit down as a Congress, the Congress and the, uh, the the both houses of the Congress to sit down and create solutions instead of this stupid bickering. And I know that a lot of this was created. Uh, well, a lot of it was 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 really brought out with Trump being uh, at pres- uh, in, uh, in the presidency. I, I realize that, but, but, but we have to, we have to move beyond that. We have to start electing officials that are going to bring these solutions to actual, to, to, to light. The, it's, we, I, I know I just said, we got to start talking about this, but the, the talking really has to go to what is actually being done. What is actually being passed? So you're, you're right there. And, and it goes back to the division of why these things are not getting processed because most of these issues to my very first point are agreed upon. A lot of these issues for the most part are bipartisan issues. The problem is, is that we have children in Congress right now, people who cannot sit down and talk to each other and have conversations, find solutions, pass the bills and move on with life because the American people are not being, um, they're not being served. The Congress is being served. They're serving themselves. How do we fix that? It goes back to us. It goes back to the voters, to the people. We need to we need to educate more. We need to get louder and we need to say things have been issues for decades and still nothing is being done. Still, we are we are still talking about climate change. We are still talking about livable wages. We are still talking about racism for God's sakes. And nothing is getting done except for a bunch of bickering. So unfortunately, the answer to this is we need to start electing the right people to go in and actually pass these bills before it's too late. Because how close are we right now to having irreversible damage to our climate, to to put that to point? If not already, we have some. Exactly. Um, I'm going to push this forward. Uh, So David just went. I'm going to push the next three questions. I have three left. That's about what we'll get to. We'll go Alan, um, Lauren, Brent in that order. Uh, I believe we had uh, Baron. Is it Barrett? Uh, I'm sorry. You are up next, sir. Take yourself off mute and you can go. All right. Thank you. I just have just a few comments and I know we're short on time, so I won't say much. Um, I am a lawyer and I'm approaching this from a macro standpoint. And the problem is that we essentially had a series of uh, bargains that were made, uh, trade-offs, if you will, um, to form this country. So it's deliberately unrepresentative. That's the issue that you have, really. Um, I don't fault the Democrats. I used to call myself an independent, an independent until Trump came along. But I don't blame the Democrats. Um, the, the system is rigged. You have the Electoral College. You have gerrymandering. Um, you have the Senate which, <laughs> I mean, it's absurd that a, a, a state like California would have two senators, same as Idaho. California is the size of, I was partially raised in the UK. California is the size of, is the size of 14 UKs. Um, so there are systemic um, disadvantages that Democrats will always have because we don't have a country that's representative of everyone. And that's why the filibuster rule needs to be changed. Um, we need to actually bring everything to an even kill. And that's all I have to say. Thanks. Alan, I'll give you a chance to follow up on that. 
Well, thank you. Uh, I, I agree. Uh, we definitely need to end the filibuster. Uh, we talked about, you know, what it would look like to be able to change the current system, which would basically be our constitution to end the, uh, uh, the electoral college so that we can have a truly uh, democratic institution. Um, because if we did, we wouldn't have had Trump as president whenever, you know, in 2016. Uh, but our, our system of government is based on the republic, which is uh, more so of a, uh, a representative democracy. And, you know, the only way around it outside of you know, getting a two-thirds vote in both houses and, and, and a, I guess, the majority of the states to ratify it, it's just uh, one of those situations where we're going to have to do a whole lot better of unifying our message, unifying our party, and being able to win on messaging with with voters. And so one of the things that we do in our campaign is we try to educate voters as much as we can by coming on uh, podcasts like this uh, to disseminate information by holding monthly town halls that are geared around the issues that matter most to the people and having weekly discussions uh, each and every week on the issues that matter to the people in our state and what we do with the power hour chat for so that for at least an hour every week on social media, we allow people to ask questions. Uh, not, the reason we do that is because when people are able to speak, it empowers them to become stimulated uh, to be a part of the political process. Right now, we have so many people in our party that are uh, that are uninspired. Uh, by what's going on in government, that they simply do not get out and vote. And we know that if Democrats get out and vote, we win. And if we want um, a change, like real change in our country, then we have to recognize that we must do more to inspire and motivate our voters to get out and vote. So um, I'm, I'm very happy to be speaking here tonight because this is the type of platform that really uh, reaches people where they are. This is the type of platform that gives people an opportunity to be heard. And, and to be honest, it's really like a virtual town hall. These types of platforms and these types of conversations, they do a lot of good. They educate people. They stimulate people. They motivate people. Uh, and we need we need inspiration in our system. And then we also need more unity. Uh, the previous president the rhetoric that he pushed, uh, it was divisive, uh, it was evil, and that type of evil, we see it still uh, perpetuating itself with members of our Congress who feel that they need to emulate that type of rhetoric in order to secure a base for their own personal gain. We need to educate our voters to, so that they can understand that uh, these types of leaders, if they're not working to benefit every American, then it's just a matter of time before uh, they work against them as well. So leadership, policy, government, it should always benefit every American and not just some. And uh, we do a lot to try to bring that message to the people. And our campaign focuses on improving the quality of life for everyone. You know, what's really sad when you have uh, politicians who campaign to a base, and then when they become in office, they are still talking the same way as they were when they were a candidate, because the office requires them to look out and represent every American. 
it doesn't require them to look out for some Americans. But it's really sad to see that we have um, a lot of representatives and senators who are only interested in representing uh, a base of people rather than every American. And I think that um, it is incumbent upon us to work towards getting those types of individuals out of our system. If we could do that, if we can end the filibuster uh, and we can have representatives and senators that are working for every American, then we will we'll have less of these uh, tactics like, you know, trying to uh, get rid of our votes and, and um, take us back to a time where women didn't have rights and all of these types of things. I mean, look at Florida, look at, look at Texas, look at all of these states that are trying to implement these policies because they're controlled by parties of people that um, are, are, are selfish, really. I mean, if you're only looking out for certain people, like yourself, your family, and you're not thinking about everyone else, then you know, you're, you're a selfish individual. When people are born into this world, they draw circles. Some people draw circles around themselves, like Trump. Some people draw circles around themselves and their families, and that's admirable. Some people draw circles around themselves and their community. Some draw circles around themselves and the nation. And some people draw circles around themselves and humanity. We need to look at what type of circles are we drawing, and we need to look at the leaders that we are electing and how they draw their circles. Because if their circles are very narrow, these are not the type of people that we need in elected office. Absolutely. So we have, um, and I just noticed we have another, we have another candidate that joined in. Um, so we're almost done. Uh, I believe we had two, possibly three guys left to go. Uh, Win Rowe. Yes, that's me. All right. Uh, go ahead and ask your question, sir. Okay, I have a question uh, regarding the abortion rights. One, why can't they just have an act that says we uh, extend reproductive freedom to both genders? Let the men walk away uh, after a certain time and then let the women, you know, do as they wish with they with their pregnancy, independent of each other. The problem what, with what, that what do you is, mean? What do you mean by men walk away? At a, what, what can you they, find a bit? If they have an unwanted pregnancy, a man could just basically say uh, he terminates his parental rights and he has no legal financial responsibility to the child. All right, well, you get the hard one, uh, Lauren, because you were up next. <laughs> I mean, it's hypocritical. I mean, and then you're going to have this issue as long as you have one gender fighting for something. And I believe it's, honestly, I believe in uh, women have proven that uh, feminism is not about equality, but privilege. And a lot of men resent it. I'm one of them. All right, Lauren. Uh, I, like I said, I guess you can yeah, go for it. Because I, 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 I the premise of the question, so go ahead, Brent. Well, well, you beat me to the answer, but uh, let, let's pull it all the way back to when the uh, when the heading was uh, pro-choice versus pro-life, and there was the question of. What do you do when the man says or the husband says this or that? And the, the it, it's all it, it, it's it, it's nonsensical. And even to just say, oh, this is a woman's issue. This is a person with a uterus issue. 
there are trans women out there, trans men out there that have this issue. I do know one that, that, that had to go through an abortion and, and it's going on within a human and that human has to be given body autonomy. Now, if there was a consensual or even non-consensual creation of a life, then both people that were there for the creation are responsible for that life. So no, you can't just say, Oh, well, I know that we totally hooked up and, uh, but I'm going to bow out now and have no financial responsibility. But at the same time, the person that's going to carry that fetus until it's born and becomes a child has their rights as well. So while rejecting the premise of the question, we, we cannot allow for people to be, you know, regulated. We, we cannot regulate what happens in people's bodies. We, every time this discussion comes up, in a, in a feed, whatever, it's like, oh, well, we should make every man have a vasectomy because it can be reversed. No, that's regulating a person's body. We need to allow for the person that's growing an embryo into a fetus that will deliver a child decide if they want or it's healthy for them to carry that in, in in their body and i believe this um, is my last question to answer so i just want to thank alan ellison for showing up and bringing his big blue check mark to our discussion am i saying it right yes Osabu. yeah all right from africa I'm from nigeria um i've been listening to you guys for the past um, few minutes ago now and then I enjoyed um, listening to you guys. Actually, I have a few things to add to what um, Rosa and um, Lauren, I don't know if I'm um, right in the pronunciation, Lauren, um, about um, the political aspect. You know, I call it a political foodie foodie because in Africa here, our leaders, you know, when they want to come in, you know, they buy our ideas. You know, the the channel trick us, tell us that once they get in, they're gonna do this for us, do that for us. And at the end, when they get the power, they do nothing. You know, uh, um, political system has gone astray. Education system, they've reduced everything. You know, if you go to school, there's no good job for you. We are all hustling on our own, and then. Talking of American political um, leadership, I, I think they are trying. And then, if they cannot um, play their role very well, I, I believe we have um, the legislators, um, the executive, the judiciary. What are they doing? We have the masses' voice. So if the leaders are not doing well, so those people who are in charge of those areas I believe they have the power to step them down. Obviously, I like what they did to Trump because he wasn't um, 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 leading well. 
as well. So they dropped him. That, that, that's all I have to say. Right. Hey, we appreciate it. Now, that was kind of more of a, uh, a comment. Um, thank you for that comment. Uh, we have Alex and Elizabeth, and then we'll Hello? roll. Alex, go ahead. Can uh, do, do I have the floor? You do. Yeah, who, who do you want to ask the question to? We only have a few minutes left, sir. Okay. Uh, my name is Alexis Pena. I actually do advocacy at a national level uh, with the National Hispanic Construction Association. I also do it locally here in New York. So I'm pretty involved with politics. I think that people need to understand that it's not just voting that's going to get the right people uh, in office. It's also donating. Because when you're competing with special interests, uh, as far as uh, the businesses and uh, uh, the lobbyists, you know, it takes not just the vote of the individual, but also the donation of the individual to help get the right people uh, uh, elected. So, you know, either we bind to, bound together and actually get involved, not just with um, not just with votes, but also with advocacy and and donations. I don't think we're going to have any real change because the money is is uh, is is really speech in this country. Um, and I love this country. And as far as the abortion, somebody said something about abortion. I'm all about pro-choice. Uh, this is switching. I'm sorry, I'm switching this up. Um, but at some point, you know, you don't want uh, a nine-month-old fetus being aborted. I'm a father of three, and uh, that's just disturbing to me. But again, um, we all have our rights to our sins. Uh, but I also vote my conscience. I'm sorry. That's that's all I got to say. Thank you very much. Alex, uh, so, and, and real quick, I will just say this. That's kind of a, um, the law in Virginia and New York that you're referring to, they allow abortions up to nine months. Um, they do not advocate. I don't believe that has ever happened. You're looking at a cost of about $60,000, and it is only if the mother's life is in jeopardy, and it's a choice like what Brent went through. Um, so it's, it's not just like, oh, I changed my mind because my husband, you know, looked at a girl at the mall. Um, so I'm not sure that that's, I know that's the way it's characterized. It, I think all of us agree with you that nobody wants to see a, a nine-month pregnancy aborted, but it's, I think it's just allowing for that, not more so than anything else. Last question, Elizabeth, you are there. Go ahead. Elizabeth, if you're trying to talk, you're on mute. No, I'm not trying to talk. I uh, My question has passed, so let, let's just move on with the discussion. Thank you. Okay, so let's do this. Um, left to right, I mean, um, Alan, tell people how they can find your campaign. Then we'll go Lauren. Then we'll go Brent. Then we'll go David. And the only reason I chose that order is because that's the order that you're in on my screen. So. Well, thank you uh, very much, Jason, for uh, hosting this. Thank you, Brent, Lauren. Uh, and everyone else. David, thank you all for being here tonight. Uh, this has been a lovely discussion. Um, if you want to get involved with our campaign, we would definitely love to have you. Our campaign uh, is it's large, it's diverse. We have people from every walk of light, life uh, from around the country. Uh, visit our website at allenellison.com. Uh, from there, you can join our team, join our movement. Uh, you can also make a contribution and be sure to uh, get something from our swag shop. Uh, we're on every social media platform, so follow us, amplify all of our messages. 
the gentleman was right. Whenever you make contributions to our campaigns, uh, because none of us take corporate PAC money, uh, we're grassroots candidates, uh, it allows us to be able to reach further. And whenever you are going up against well-funded candidates who generate millions of dollars from corporate special interests, uh, they have the ability to reach audiences that grassroots candidates simply do not. So we depend on on those grassroots donations. We depend on uh, podcasts like uh, like Dig on America. And, and um, you know, the thing is, is that there is always something that you can do to help push us uh, to the next voter. Uh, if you are a writer, uh, we're always looking for writers. Uh, if you're a publisher, we're looking for publishers, people who can uh, help connect us to other opportunities for the next speaking engagement, whether it's on radio, television, uh, or in, in a, uh, a live event. Uh, we are willing to do whatever is necessary to reach our audiences because we believe that educated voters make for better voters. And we want our voters to be as educated as possible about the issues that matter to so many people. Uh, we are doing this because we care uh, to address the gentleman earlier uh, from Nigeria. I've been to Nigeria. I've seen the sentiment, the public sentiment about the leaders there. Uh, what I fear is that America could end up uh, with such public disdain for uh, government and leadership that we just shy away from the political process. We have to do our part to not only get those type of leaders out of office and have better, but one of the ways I try to teach people to be able to do that is to not just listen to what pol- uh, politicians are saying, but look at the history of what they have done. If they're talking about they're going to make America great again, but doesn't, they do not have a history of making anything great outside of their personal bank accounts, then usually uh, they're not going to be able to do the things that they're saying. People who who are willing to help, uh, people who are looking to advocate, this is what they do already before even running for office. So if they're saying they're going to do a certain thing, look in, look in their history and see if they have a history of doing it. And then we just might get better elected officials because anybody can get up here and make a bunch of promises about what they're going to do. But when it get right down to it, there's 534 other members who may have a difference of an opinion or a different way of looking at things. And if you can't get a majority of the people to see life your way, you're not going to get any policy uh, put forward. So we have to become better educated at being able to recognize who has the heart for the people, who has the skills, who uh, who has the, the creativity to take a look at policy and make it work uh, for the American people. I want to thank you all for taking the time to hear us. And uh, I'm going to turn it over to Warren. I think he's next up on my screen. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, um, and 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 thanks for the discussion. I know I took in a lot of of what was said today. That's part of the part of our skills as as being representatives is is exercising that active listening. Um, and uh, also shout out to Bakersfield. <laughs> That's where I'm from. So, uh, small world. Um, Oh really? But I just—that's cool. We'll we'll have to grab a we'll have yeah. to grab a beer, brother. Absolutely. Um, 
but you know, just just I think what what we're facing now at this this uh, you know twenty twenty two election cycle and beyond is that we're really at a crossroads. Um, you know, four years after extreme division and this attempted insurrection that we have, and now with this pandemic that has killed over seven hundred thousand of our friends and neighbors and fellow countrymen, we really have to ask ourselves, you know, what kind of country that we want to be. Um, we have to answer the question of who does government work for? And we've, we heard um, a lot of different uh, opinions that are, are really get at what the heart of, of what I know my campaign is and, and each of these uh, gentlemen um, their campaigns are is answering that question of who we think government should work for, and, and really, to me, and a lot of the answers that we heard uh, from from candidates today was that a government that is made by the people and made up of the people should work for the people. And so that's one of the things that I'm focused in my campaign um, is is uh, believing in an America where everyone can provide for their families. Uh, where we have immigrants that are treated with dignity and have a pathway to citizenship, where we have um, opportunities for our children to get quality educations and then jobs after they get those educations, um, no matter where they're from. Um, and I think once we, we look at, at issues um, and, and, and take them head on, I think we, we – one of the things I came away from today was this need of, of building a bigger brand and, and addressing some of the, some of the language that the right is, is tacking onto us. Like defund the police is one that I hear constantly that I don't accept the premise for as a black man in America. I believe there's gotta be some middle ground between me calling the police and them showing up and killing me and having absolutely no police at all. Um, one of the things that I, I think is, is obvious in America now is that nowhere is there any tablets that have come down from the heavens that say America has to be a democracy. And so after January 6th, I, I, I think that it is now time that we make it clear to not only uh, like-minded folks like like the um, other lefts and uh, progressive people around this country, but also to our Republican peers that the, the job of representatives are to preserve and protect this country. And we saw that 139 members of uh, the GOP sided with domestic terrorists, all for the loyalty of one person. Um, so, so my pitch is this. If you believe in a government that serves its people, works best, and that if you believe that healthcare is not only a human right but a moral imperative, and if you believe that we are in a climate crisis and we should have bold policies to address it, folks like myself and Alan and Brent and David, we need your help. And, and I know that one of the things that I absolutely am sick and tired of because I'm running against Devin Nunes, who's the king of calling things he doesn't like socialism. And I, I point out often he has yard signs that say support police on one end and say no to socialism on the other. 
And and to one of the one of the comments we had today is we need to be bold and and talk about these issues. You can't say I don't like socialism, but yeah, I'm for the police who are paid with our tax dollars. So uh, don't be afraid to to engage respectfully um, uh, and participate participate in discourse like this um i i know i love to hear it and uh look forward to the work that we're all doing beautiful and uh to to david and lauren real quick um i i like i definitely want to get both of you guys on the podcast um i've had alan on and brent's coming on already um i don't like brent that much so i'm not going to be on the show he's on <laughs> the week but uh um but definitely let's talk afterwards i'd love to get you guys on dig on america um I, I don't want to forget veteran there. Um, he asked to speak a while ago and it's a man who served our country. So let's give him a second to, to, to speak. Cause he kind of lost his turn before. Um, go ahead real quick, brother. If you had a quick question. Are you there? Uh, we had, I think that was the wrong veteran. Are you there brother? Okay, I guess he's still uh, not there, so I I apologize. Uh, oh, there he is. It's cutting in out. Oh, go ahead, brother. Oh, he's having some connectivity issues. I see. Okay, um, sorry about that, man. Um, so uh, I think David, I had next. Uh, David, what's your uh, takeoff message? Yeah. Um, to reiterate, thank you everybody for being here today. Um, this is a great group of gentlemen trying to serve our country, serve their districts, serve their states, and the people uh, who came and listened and asked questions. Man, that's that was so valuable. That was so huge. Um, I'm very honored to be here. I'm, I'm glad that we all have uh, very similar mindsets as far as what we need to do, uh, not necessarily on the issue side, but how to create those changes, how to actually get work done, not just by speaking about it, not just by saying what we're going to do, but by actually getting it done. Um, and that's, I think, the difference between this this particular panel, this next generation of uh, elected officials that will create actual change. So I'm very proud to be here and be a part of this. You can reach me, uh, obviously, my website, David Torres, the number four, congress.com. Uh, just to reiterate, we, you know, s send me an email, send up my team an email and let's get together. I, I really enjoy doing, um, group gatherings and events where we can all sit down and chat and I can learn more about the issues, uh, that are very important to everybody, which I think is something that we don't see often enough. So we can assume and we can have our own agenda and our own issues, but, to actually go out and listen to people and the issues that they may have that we don't have or we don't think of all the time is is vital is vital to to change and is vital to our job so i hope to hear from you i really hope you support one of these candidates either myself or anybody near you or all of them and we uh, continue uh this this journey of uh, of getting this, this country back to, to where it needs to be, um, or, or even better than it ever was. So, uh, thank you for allowing me to be a part of this. 
Uh, you guys are all great. Everyone here has been fantastic. And I look forward to future, uh, future conversations and events. Perfect. Uh, and then last, I do, I do see a couple people are asking to ask questions. Um, I know these candidates have given up a lot of time already. Um, so if any of them are able to hang on after Brent says his goodbye uh, or, or gives his, um, his parting shot here, uh, that's on them. But I, just bear in mind, I asked them to be on for an hour and we're going on um, three. So <laughs> uh, they've been more than generous. Um, but I did see Paul and, and Luana, uh, so we'll, we'll see what, where this goes. Well, I, um, I do have a question. I just want to say we have to elect real Democrats like the candidates in this conference. We cannot allow fake Democrats like Manchin or Cinema to get into power. And we need to elect Democrats that support UBI like Mr. Edison and Universal Healthcare. I don't have uh, a question I, either. I agree with that. I have information okay. for the candidates. One voice who I'm with is willing to help y'all get your word out, help you design your tweets, help your team use your tweets. I'm also with Fresh United Resist Resistance United, um, Dimcast. We'd be delighted to help y'all get the word out and help you. If you can't tweet well, we teach you how to tweet well. And the people that tweet for you, we will tweet, teach them too. I might need you also. <laughs> That's something uh, so one, one, one voice is doing. I, I'm, I will make sure that they uh, all have your info so that they can reach out to you um, if they if they need your services. So that's great that you made that offer. Um, and real quick, just on our end, um, if you guys uh, are interested in um, what we do here at Dig on America podcast, um, you know, if you're not following us, please follow the show. Um, we live stream every Wednesday. Uh, tomorrow we have Jesse Felipe. Um, watch all four of these candidates put a fist in the air right now for Jesse. Cause they all, uh, cause Jesse is part of their little team. Um, and uh, he will be on tomorrow's show. We have on candidates. We have on authors. We have had on uh, uh, guests from the Young Turks, um, from from other media shows that uh, we just go on. We have a lot of fun. We talk about the issues. We talk about some history. Um, Alan was on the show a couple weeks ago. If anybody wants to check that one out, um, actually last week. It seems like longer ago. It seems like I've been friends with Alan for years. It's been like a week now. Um, but. Um, and then Brent will be on on November, uh, October thirteenth. Um, so, like our, uh, you know, follow the podcast page if you would. Um, and then you can, if you'd like to check out our show, I would love you to do that. Uh, if you look on my Twitter bio, there is a link tree link there. You can find the iTunes, <coughs> Spotify, everything is right there. The YouTube channel. Uh, Twitch, etc. So Wednesday night live stream, 7.30 p.m. Pacific. I believe that is 9.30 p.m. Central. Uh, last but not least, Brent, um, your parting shot, sir, and then we'll, we'll let everybody go. Okay, I just want to say that, you know, we, we're talking about supporting candidates, everything. Everyone needs to realize these are local elections with national repercussions. Getting a group of, of people in 
like myself, Alan, Lauren, David, we can work together to address these large issues. But just like Alan brought out, we're, we're up against machines and we have to be able to do voter outreach. And that requires the donations from it doesn't matter where you are in the country. We need your help so that we can fund our ability to overcome the ginormous incumbent bias. So many people just are used to voting for the name that that they voted for before. We're up against these people. We need to get out and touch them. And my team uh, talks about 14 touches. It takes them driving by the road sign, a car with our sticker, uh, a Facebook ad, a, a social media post on Twitter, 14 times before they even recognize that we're running. And then we actually have to reach them. Uh, so with that, just realize when we're daily putting out there, hey, we haven't hit our goal. Hey, we're working towards this. Please go to bh4c.win and make a donation. Go to bh4c.com and and volunteer. We have to talk to you 14 times before you realize we're really here. And then from there, we need to use your support to reach the other people in our districts 14 times so that when the ballot comes, they recognize us. Allen getting 117,000 votes in 28 days in a write-in. I bow to the blue check mark on him. I bow to it. Um, and and uh, you're a strong, my friend. But I just know what we're all up against, which is big names, machines that do not care what they do to us to our families. I've had to put in security cameras. We we've had guys show up in my driveway with threats, online threats. I am not stopping, but that is what we are up against every day. And we're just trying to make things better. We're trying to do what America is supposed to be. And we're pushing and we're pushing and we're pushing and we need you guys behind us, not just sharing our tweets. We do need that, but we need people to help us with donations that will fund the voter outreach to people that most people really aren't on social media. So we need your help so we can buy yard signs and give them away. So when people are driving here or there, grocery store to work, they're seeing our names and they become comfortable. And with that, again, BH, the number four C dot win is my shortened link directly to my fundraising page. And you're all here. So please follow me here on Twitter. It's where I'm most active. Yeah, please do. Um, <clears throat> before we all go, uh, please touch on the each of these candidates uh, Twitter profiles. Make sure you're following them. Um, share their Twitter profiles with folks, check them out on their websites. Um, and please do donate because, you know, these, these GOP candidates, 
they're using their pack dollars to help you know kevin mccarthy for example is a huge fundraiser he uses his pack dollars to help other candidates um win republican primaries against these guys frankly not a lot of people in the democratic party do that um and there's there's a couple reasons for that one of the main ones though is that there is a higher percentage of democratic voters who do who don't accept pack dollars and that's the main message that i have and that's why these four guys are on here because if you're beholden to corporations you're not beholden to the people uh we need to get money out of politics and that is really the main um you know that that's message number one i can't be beholden to big tech big pharma big oil etc etc google and ibm do not you know i i people tell me all the time jason why do you trust the government it's not that i trust the government but if i don't trust the government if i don't like what the government's doing i can run for congress i can't run for the board of ibm i have to buy my way onto it and that's why this is so important right so thank you to everyone for joining i will do another one of these spaces probably in about 2 weeks uh you might see some of the same guys you might see some other people we'll see how it goes but definitely um thank you for joining and thank you for all the great questions and i apologize to anyone who didn't quite get in but again we've been on for 3 hours so uh candidates thank all of you gentlemen from the bottom of my heart thank you for being friends of dig out america thanks for having us absolutely dig on america you will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy proof the deep state is real in america the media said what ha 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 patently false fake news your organization's terrible This is the kind of thing that just tickles my balls. Want to have a rousing discussion about truth, honor, patriotism? The end of the republic has never looked better. They be fighting the power, talking about social issues, politics, you know what I'm saying? Three punches. I enjoy big hoss and I've spoken my cigar of course. Am I allowed to I talk? Think, no, not right now. You crazy Dutch bastard. M- Mikey, you're getting a bit upset here. Mikey, you can edit. My favorite podcast. Take names, take ass. There's no going back. You've changed things forever. get in trouble good trouble necessary trouble now you see that evil will always triumph because good is dumb big on america what is it the 50s every friday 
the poodle skirts and, yeah, and the women have dinner on the table by 5 o'clock and yeah, their husband comes to the door and they give them martinis. Be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 Go <laughs> damn, give me my slippers, yeah. woman. <laughs> you right. Weed makes my nipples itch. Is that what it is? <laughs> my nipples fucking itches all the time. <laughs> I don't. I've been a dude for years. I made fun of her for this. My nipples don't itch when I smoke weed. <laughs> Neither do mine, dude. <laughs> fucking weird. It's, it's all bullshit. Because the whole world is a gutter. The Subscribe now. Hey, come back. Big on America.